York sports fans, I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan, after midnight, I'll be talking all things New York sports with you, as always, until 6 a.m. on this early, early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you're still out and about in that city that never sleeps or you're in a rideshare home or, like I always say, working on a weekend like usual. Hey, me and Pat are, too. He's buying a glass tonight. He's ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls. You guys know that number, 877-337-6666. Hey, let's load up with your best content only, please, everybody. We're coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio. And boy, oh boy, have there been more and more decorations added to this studio. We got the Jonas Brothers in the house. We've got Phil Sims, Boomer, Craig. The whole gang's here. I think I need one. I think I need one of these cutouts. I think I'm going to bring one in next week, and I think we should do one of you, too. Add it to the collection. Got to get the obnoxious fatheads. Yes, that's what these are, yes. We, we can do it. We'll, we'll add them. <laughs> We've got a very special guest for you tonight, and uh, good if good for you if you were able to guess it from my hints on social media the other day. There were three emoji clues that I dropped. One were colored squares. They were blue, orange, and white. Number two was an apple. And number three was the numbers four, two, and four. Who could that possibly be? Well, Mets Hall of Famer John Franco, or Mets Hall of Fame member. Not Hall of Fame member, but Mets Hall of Fame member. But you never know. We will talk about that. Him making the Hall of Fame, getting left off the ballot, missed it by uh, by three votes. Uh, we'll talk about the steroid users and if they should be inducted to the Hall of Fame or not. His suggestions for the current Mets. Would he play in the eminent old-timers day and the black jerseys era in Mets baseball and the work he does with our Italian-American Baseball Foundation? Also very important, I'll have Amy Dash, who is WFAN's legal analyst. We'll discuss three things. Can DeAndre Baker, a talented defensive player, now go on the offensive, legally speaking? We'll dissect the details of the Jeff Lunau lawsuit against the Astros and how the Mets can legally try to unload Robinson Cano because remember, he only forfeits the salary from this upcoming season. Or, I know you hate to hear it, but should they? Maybe next time Probably the biggest story in New York sports this entire week, and that's my girl Carrie Underwood. There were many stories this week, but this one takes the cake. For example, we had the Judge Columbo brawl that wasn't. We had the NBA draft. The biggest sports headline this week, maybe even across the country, was absolutely Robinson Cano's second suspension for PED use at 38 years old. As you know, a second positive test results in an automatic 162-game suspension. He was suspended for 180 games the first time in 2018 with the Mariners. There was a different substance used in both casts uh, with both teams, so it makes me think that this time was not an accident, more so a way to try to circumvent the testing process and, and, the, and the red flagging process, if you will. Cano will forfeit his $24 million salary, and a thought popped into my mind, and maybe it's just a sign of the times, but if it's a 162-game suspension and this upcoming season ends up getting shortened, due to COVID reasons, because let's be honest, we still don't have an approved vaccine for it yet. Does that mean that the suspension carries over into subsequent seasons? Could Cano be suspended until he's 40 years old? And again, how does that affect the salary structure? And another thought, is it fair 
that a club gets penalized for a player's steroids like this in this situation? You could say yes, and you could speculate that he might be a repeat offender and that, therefore, the Mets should be penalized in terms of paying his salary. Or you could say no, and you could speculate that the first suspension would, you know, quote-unquote, teach him. So in a way, I wish it wasn't a three-strike-your-ban rule. And Amy Dash and I will talk about this. More like two. So that the team in this case, in this case his next team, the Mets, isn't penalized money. Remember, everyone was dancing in the streets and celebrating that Mets found money this this week. You're right, they did. But he isn't off the payroll altogether. It's just a one-year salary forfeiture. So what do you do with him moving forward if you're the Mets? There would be exactly a zero trade market for him unless you try to package him in a very appealing package down the line. Doubtful. And none of us could even really speculate what that would be at this point, so let's not even try that. Or do you buy him out? But if you're paying him anyway, you might as well get something from him, especially if there's a DH, right? Sandy Alderson in the Mets statement did not give anything away. They said, quote, we are extremely disappointed to be informed about Robinson's suspension for violating Major League Baseball's joint jug prevention and treatment program. The violation is very unfortunate for him, the organization, our fans, and the sport. The Mets fully support MLB's efforts toward eliminating performance-enhancing substances with the game, end quote. Okay. In a really weird way, do you, do you kind of feel bad for him? And hear me out. I can see it if that's you, and, and you're not alone. And if you haven't considered it, try to think of it a different way, which is what I always try to do with you guys in many different subjects, as you know, as we discuss on here. But just consider it. At 38 years old, Cano is probably trying to live up to that major money deal that the New York market gave him, the New York Mets, where he knows that better than anyone, he was going to be criticized for poor play, especially, again, for the size of his contract under the Wilpons' ownership. He was, as an aging athlete, just trying to maintain the performance level everyone, including himself, had been accustomed to from him. But again, steroids taking them is not the way to do it. A question popped into my mind, kind of sneaked into my mind, really, because I started to think back. Did Cano use steroids when he was with the Yankees? Is that why they dealt him to Seattle? Did he want out of New York because he didn't want to be outed. Remember, Milky Cabrera hit was his BFF, and Alex Rodriguez was also in that clubhouse, and they were also both busted. Or was it a gigantic coincidence? How much are you you willing to put on your opinion tonight? Not that it matters right this second, but I just think it was worth mentioning. And also, is he out of the Mets' hair for good? Not so fast. We'll talk with WFAN's legal analyst Amy Dash a little later tonight about what the Mets' options are regarding Cano. I think most, if not all, Mets fans are glad to see him go, at least for the time being, and they're glad to see a guy like Jeff McNeil, who was an all-star in 2019, get steady and consistent reps at second base this upcoming season. That is, if DJ LeMayhew isn't wearing a Mets uniform next year. DJ LeMayhew! Everybody's jumping on this DJ LeMayu to the Mets train, this bandwagon. But we talked of the possibility of it. By the way, you and I, we first talked about this on Halloween night. And I want you always to remember that you heard it that here first out of my own brain way back on Halloween. 
There hasn't been much buzz coming out of the Yankees compound, and DJ LeMayhew seems far or means far more to the New York Yankees than he does to the New York Mets. To the Yankees, he's not just a second baseman. LeMayhew represents to the Yankees a philosophical difference from their approach at the plate, for most of their players anyway. He sprays the ball around the infield. The defense can't install any shifts because of it, and thus holes open all, all around the field for him. Oh, and he also hits for power, too. But Yankees fans, I don't need to tell you all this. So besides last week's news that the Yankees may be shopping Gary Sanchez, which we talked about on here then, I think a really strong feeling of impatience is starting to settle in, especially after hearing at nauseum Steve Cohen and the New York Mets are in on every single free agent and every single trade bait player. Who is going to be the Yankees' number two starter? Why hasn't DJ LeMay, who signed on the dotted line yet, What's going on, as Marvin Gaye asked? Well, there aren't many answers out there. No one has really heard from Brian Cashman other than at his annual fundraiser this week. Um, This is a serious note. Cashman and two of his front office guys slept outside, or at Yankee Stadium at least, to raise awareness and funds to support the Covenant House. And the Sleep Out's mission is to spread awareness about the youth, youth homelessness crisis. Really important, especially in these difficult times. In defense of Sam Darnold, this is not all his fault. This is a song from my middle school days, and it really stuck out to me as I was doing this before because many people like to blame all of the Jets' mess on Sam Darnold. In part, yes, but not all of it. Because then also, too, you think back, this is Taking Back Sunday. The title of the song is Cute Without the E. So, cut. And in other words, what Sam Darnold could find himself at the conclusion of this season. Maybe not that harsh, maybe traded, but, you know, same idea. He won't be wearing a Jets uniform next year, possibly. Many think he will not be under center with them next season. But let me offer a contrarian opinion for thought. Could you listening right now, offer up a rational, logical, and pragmatic reasoning as to why the Jets should keep Sam Darnold as their quarterback moving forward. Is he the quarterback of the future? I want to hear your best in defense of Sam Darnold out there right now. And while you think of that, get aboard. I'm going to give it my best shot. Joe Douglas, I'm going to start off with a quote from him that says, I have no problem saying he is our best quarterback and our quarterback of the future. That's a quote from Joe Douglas. Number one, in in the New York Jets in the 2018 traded four first or second round picks to the Colts in order to trade up to number three to get him. They clearly saw a lot of talent in him in order to give up that kind of capital to get it. I'll be honest, I am on the record, on this record here in New York City, saying that the Jets should keep Sam Darnold as their quarterback. Well, maybe my opinion is evolving a little bit, but for argument's sake, there it is. He's got the talent to be a dual-threat quarterback, both a runner and a passer, we've seen. Number two, yes, he's been absent. Over the past three seasons, the Jets are 0-9 in games where he has not started. Yes, there's the mono. Now it's the shoulder from October 1st when he was absolutely demolished by the Broncos' defense on a play that wasn't even flagged, by the way. The Jets rushed him back onto the field after sitting, and he re-aggravated it on, on November 1st in that blowout loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. He hasn't played since. Number three, Sam Darnold has had a revolving door of players on the offensive line. He's never really had a number one real receiver 
that is used correctly in a game plan anyway, because Robbie Anderson comes to mind when I say that. This season, the Jets went out and got some guys. But while he was quarterbacking, Perryman, Mims, and Crowder were never in the same game day lineup together. Number four, Sam Darnold's growth has been stifled since the jump by this quarterback guru head coach that he, by the way, had a say in hiring. But come on, letting a 21-year-old help pick in the pick of the head coach, that's kind of crazy to me to begin with. And number five, and through all of this crap, this kid stands up on that podium every day, day in, day out, and answers the reporter's same questions in a thoughtful, calm way. And he has never once, not one single time, implicated his coaching staff or his teammates as an explanation for a loss. He takes it and he puts the blame on himself, even when it is not warranted. But are all of these reasons enough to keep him and build around him? Winker Bet told us all on my show that he thinks he is the guy. Ultimately, I think he will go somewhere else and away from Adam Guru and flourish like most of the star players that he has ever coached. There's only one song. You can let this run a little bit, Pat. There's only one song that came to mind when thinking about this week's NBA action. Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train. Let's look at the Nets real quick. First, Joseph Sy told us all that he valued Joe Harris and that he didn't mind going over the luxury tax threshold, especially in regards to bringing him back to Brooklyn. At 10 p.m. Friday night, the report came out that Harris agreed to a four-year, $75 million deal. I believe that this reunion was inevitable, and I believe that this is a fair price to pay for a guy like Harris, who had multiple suitors. Irving and Durant were looking for their third star and joked that it was Steve Nash when he was hired, but little did they realize that their third star was already among them. Joe Harris is a perfect fit for the team that, in the way that it's built, and I really don't think the Nets really need to do much more. If they were to add any pieces, I mean, they're certainly in tinkering mode. And honestly, the comings and the goings on this Knicks roster and really the rest of the NBA, it's just, it's almost too much to keep up with at this point. So crazy train, right? Clearly the blizzard of transactions since free agency opened. I mean, the players were negotiating with each other before they were even allowed to. That's pretty evident and obvious, right? Technically. And the most recent news that I saw, the next Knicks re-signed Alfred Payton to, to the dismay of many Knicks fans. And around 8.30... A couple hours ago, the Knicks and former Thunder Nerlens Noel agreed to a one-year, $5 million deal. That's the Thunder center. The Knicks are going to roll again with Alfred Payton as their point guard after waiving him in his $8 million contract earlier in the week, and they decided to bring him back on a one-year, $5 million deal. Alfred Payton and his 59% free throw percentage. I could shoot better. I'm not joking. I think for Knicks fans, this is a total letdown after being linked to so many top-shelf point guards across the league, whether it be via trade or via free agency. The one thing I can tell you to give you hope is maybe, hopefully, they're not done. And, of course, the Knicks draft Obi Toppin and the Giants have a bye week, et cetera, et cetera. And, oh, man, Shiano's Rutgers, they lost a heartbreaker, didn't they? Lots to do tonight. Lots to get to. Let's hit the calls. Everything's on the table. 877-337-6666. Cannot wait to talk with you guys.
I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight, here with you on The Fan in New York City. Your flagship station for Yankees baseball and Giants football is The Fan. Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Working on a weekend like usual. Way yep. off in the deep end like usual. Swear they passed us, they doing too much. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. We are too turned up here at WFAN Radio. Pat and I, <laughs> I know, very cheesy, I know. But I like it. I think this is like our theme song. And there's another song by John Party, Working on the Night Shift. We got to get that one on. That's us. Um, listen, guys, we are. Um, we might be experiencing, how do I say it, maybe an end of an era in Drew Brees and, and what's going on in New Orleans. I don't know if you guys saw a little while ago. They actually found more broken ribs. I just asked Siri just to be sure. I said, hey, Siri, how many ribs? Oh, there she goes. How many ribs does the human body have? Here's an answer from Wikipedia.org. So there are 24 ribs in a human body, as according to, to uh, Wikipedia. And Drew Brees has fractured... Um, 11 of them. They found more over a two-week period. He's been suffering with this. And, and of course, with the punctured lung as well. And this is like a totally unrelated story. But those of you that went to college with me, you know that we had a friend, Andy, who always used to get punctured lungs just because. Um, so he would always recover, though. I mean, he's not a quarterback in the NFL or anything, but he would always recover. Um, so I don't know. Brees is 41. It's the first time he's ever been placed on IR. He says he's going to be back in week 14. I don't know. 11 fractured ribs out of 24. That I'm no mathematician, but that's almost half of them. So, obviously, we wish Drew Brees well. You know, you never want to see a guy like him go out like that. But it is going to be Taysom Hill's show. I have a cousin who is a big Jameis Winston fan from his time in Tampa Bay, and, we, and I was texting him when, when uh, Taysom Hill was named the starter. He seems to think, and maybe he's right, but he seems to think that they're just naming Taysom Hill the starter just to screw with the game plan, and then they're going to bring in um, Jameis Winston to be the quarterback. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe it's not so far-fetched, but who knows. But again, uh, uh, prayers up to Drew Brees. Uh, you know, you don't want to see him go out like that. All right, let's get to the calls. 877-337-6666 is the number. You guys know that already, though. All right. Let's go, Justin Deer Park. You are our leadoff hitter tonight, Justin. Hi, Danielle. My dad is a trauma surgeon, and this is what he told me about the injury about Drew Brees. This injury is what you would call a flail chest. Okay. And then this is a major problem, and an injury like this, usually the patient goes directly to the operating room to fix and repair the ribs. So the breathing can be normalized. This is a very significant injury. Did you ever did you ask your dad if he's going to come back? If he thinks he'll be back? No, he's no way. I don't know, but I believe that daddy there's no way. If he comes back again, breathe, he will probably that he will probably I can see him being the last game ever, and that's it for him. Wow. Well, we'll just... also can I make a point with the Knicks sure. quickly? Yeah, go ahead. But I loved that draft pick. I was just on with Amy Lawrence the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was great. Um, it, I think that was who I think they wanted from everything. And yes. when I read, 
mm-hmm. and heard even from Boomer about how much he's a good kid yep. and going to follow his work, and hopefully it works out. I think they needed something like that. Yeah, and so, J- Justin, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You are you were the first one tonight. That was your call on Twitter. You tell me you're going to be the first one. You were. Um, yeah, I mean, quickly back to, to Drew Brees, I mean, Hopefully it's not career-ending. Um, your dad seems to think it is, and I'm not a doctor, and your dad is, so there's that. But the Knicks draft, you know, okay, see, here's my feeling on the Knicks draft. I think the Knicks got a good one. Let's put that out there. But the Knicks, for the longest time, need a point guard. Okay, in the draft, the Knicks selected forward Obi Toppin. He's a New York native. Did you guys see, and maybe that's what Boomer was talking about, and he's a good kid. I mean, he looks like it. Did you see his reaction upon being picked? I mean, he and his family were absolutely overcome with emotion. And I think that might have been my favorite moment of the entire draft. Some wise guys on Twitter that night, they said he was crying because he got picked by the Knicks. Ha ha. Har har. But listen, the point guard is the most dire need for the Knicks. It's been that way. Prior to the draft, I suggested Tyrese Halliburton as my top pick because he fits the need. You know, he I, I, I thought he was the best point guard and the Knicks need a point guard, right? He ended up going to the Sacramento Kings. But then as Toppin was falling and falling and he fell to the Knicks and it became take the best available and don't miss on this kid. And with some maneuvering, they also added first rounder Emmanuel quickly to their roster. But, um... Yeah, I, I like the pick. I think he's exciting. I think he's a, he's a young player with a lot of upside. I was watching the draft coverage, and he just added the dunk to his game. I mean, I think he's got a very, very high ceiling, especially when coached up well, and that's always the thing when you talk about you know young players and their ability to succeed, especially here in New York. Case in point, Sam Darnold. Kid had a huge ceiling, has a terrible coach, and look where we are at this point in time. Probably no better off than he was, let's say, three years ago when he was drafted. So I think the Knicks, I think the Knicks got a good one in top, and I think it might have been the steal of the draft. I just wish that they addressed their point guard position some other way. <laughs> um, Van Vliet, I thought, was the one, but he returned to the Raptors, as we know. I don't know. I, 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 as of right now, the Knicks cap speak. It, it, I, I just don't think they're done. I don't think the Knicks are done. I, f- I have a feeling we're going to get like some sort of notification tonight that they made another deal, and that would be cool on the show. But the cap space that they have is projected to be $20.8 million right now. And they have one open roster spot. They can't really be rolling with Alfred Payton as the point guard, right? Or even Kevin Knox, right? Right? As a Nick fan, I, I hope you're saying, no way. Kevin in Camden, you're on the fan. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm good, Kevin. What's up? You got, you're, you're second this week. He, he got um, beat. Yeah, well, I, I called first, but it depends on who's, you know, somebody calls before me, but I called right at 2 o'clock. So oh, man. I'm not sure what happened there. But I want to give, give you and Tim props because you both are right. You both convinced me. I'm telling you. I, I think you, you guys really convinced me last week. Gentlemen, I, I'm in. I'll give him another. I'll give him another year. I'll give. This is this is Tim from Connecticut. Also, a, I hope he calls in this week. But yes, you, so you, based on our arguments, are going to give Dave Gettleman another year. Is that what yeah, I'm hearing? Be, 
Yeah, because um, you, you know, you, you Tim made a lot of good points, and then you know, I watched the, I watched the game this week, and they and they showed a lot of fight, and I was impressed with it. Um, the one thing I will say though, Will Hernan- when Will Hernandez was in the game, the Giants couldn't run the ball. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just the way he does it or the way that Pert or whoever else does it. Yeah, but I mean, I he's been out. He's got to get up to game speed. I'm not making any excuse for him, really. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's some factors there. Uh, but, yes, the fact remains that, yes, once he was in the game, the run game kind of broke down a little bit. You're right. Yes. Yeah. And I have a Nick point real quick. Yeah. All right. The draft was good. Toppin, I'll take him. He's a, he's a New York guy like that. Now, the free agency. Oh. Hmm. They, they say this every year, every year. Oh, wait, we'll save him for next year. Save him for next year. <laughs> How many times am I going to hear saving it for next year? I'm twenty, almost twenty-seven. I'll be twenty-seven next month. I, I've been a Knicks fan all my life, unfortunately. How much longer do you expect me to wait? I mean, I I, I love the Knicks. I, I grew up with my dad watching it. Yeah. But I I I don't know how much I can do. They are the New York Jets of basketball. <laughs> the, the Knicks are so bad. I love them, but I just I don't know. I don't know what the Knicks. And, I, and you know, at least in football, you got a chance. But in, in basketball, nobody wants to go to the Knicks. Yeah, no one wants to. I hate to break no, it to you, Kevin, but no one wants to Not go to the Jets the either. Tier guy. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just don't know, Coach. I really don't. I just, I, I, I don't know. If the Knicks have another, like if they, next year, if they don't get anybody, I'm, I'm, I might be near. I done with them. I might be near done with them. I, I don't know how much I could take of this. I really don't. I just go for Brooklyn. I don't know. I'm just maybe just be ranting, but <laughs> I might just move for Brooklyn from now on. I don't know. I, I know, I know, Kevin. And thanks for the call, Kevin. You're I, welcome. I, I know. I think Kevin speaks for all Knicks fans. I think. I think. I think that's bar- the barometer I'm getting from all Knicks fans. And and how much longer do we have to wait? Seems to be the question that everybody seems to be asking. I don't know how much. I don't. I like to give you guys answers. I do, and and I don't know the answer to this question. I mean, you look at the the free agent class next year. I mean, it's headed up by Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'm not sure that he wants to leave after the the moves that that his team just made in free agency. I don't think number two, LeBron James. I don't think he's going to want to leave the Lakers. Kawhi Leonard with Van Vliet. Back. I mean, I I don't know if Kawhi Leonard is going to want to leave his situation either. And then there's, a, I mean, all these guys. Like I don't know. And Kevin made a good point. I don't know if the Knicks are a destination. I mean, actually, I do know. I do know that the Knicks are not a destination. So now the philosophy becomes, do you stick it out one more losing year, try to lure the big fish in with all your cap space, because that didn't seem to work any offseason up until this point, or do you start to win some games with this young talent, with Toppin, with, I'm not even going to put Peyton in there, but with Toppin, with a guy like R.J. Barrett, do, do you start to win a games? Do you start to develop a little bit? Get yourself maybe close to a playoffs, and then you're like, hey, look, we only need one or two more pieces. We have the money. You could be our, our last one or two pieces. And then, of course, you would uh, you would uh, complete our roster, and we can make a deep playoff run. I mean, it, are the Knicks that close? I don't think they are, <laughs> to be honest with you. So, and I know I'm just saying a lot of different options here, and I'm just trying to kind of land on the right one. Then I I don't know, I don't know. And then you got the coach saying that they're in win now mode, and then they're shipping off six players in one deal and bringing one back that shoots a foul shot percentage of fifty four fifty six percent. I mean, they did not address the point guard position, and I think that's the biggest frustration uh, from Knicks fans moving forward. 
for this particular season. Not yet, anyway. They have one more roster spot. They have almost $21 million in cap space. What are they going to do? I mean, there was a flurry of activity in this free agency. I I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know how many options are left that are worth it to spend the money on rather than just wait till next year. You know, cuz my top choice Fred Van Vliet, he like I said, re-signed with the Raptors, 4 years, 85 million. I think the Knicks could have done that with him. I think the Knicks should have done that with him if in fact he wanted to leave. Russell Westbrook, who knows, he's still in limbo. Another option we talked about last week was Chris Paul, traded to the Phoenix Suns in this multiplayer deal. And then I'm glad that the Knicks stayed away from Gordon Hayward. He opted to sign with the the Hornets, Michael Jordan's team, four years, $120 million. And on a little side note, Carmelo Anthony, I'm glad he's staying in Portland. Thank God. Vernon in Manhattan. Vernon, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good, Vernon. What's up? I got a wonderful story to tell you. You always uh, do. What's this week's one about? <laughs> well, uh, myself, uh, Moose, and Maggie was talking about this, and it was just a wonderful, sweet story. You heard about the owl and the tree that came to Rockefeller Center? His name is Rockefeller, yes. Yes, yes. <clears throat> and the interesting thing about it is the rock, the uh, owl was wrapped in an orange sweater. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the time when Cespedes uh, came to the plate. Remember when that yellow canary appeared? No, After, I don't. Yeah, it's a yellow canary okay. that appeared on the fence, and Cespedes was at the plate with a yellow sleeve. And so everyone was so excited about it, and it hit the newspapers the next day, and it showed a little uh, yellow canary. <clears throat> so oh, I that? do remember that. I actually do. I'm I'm just thinking back. Yeah, he was in the dugout too, wasn't he? The little bird went into the dugout. Yeah, he flew all over the place, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he was mainly seen hanging on the back of the uh, uh, of the fence on yeah. home plate. Yes. So that was like a good sign. Well, with this owl <clears throat> that came, he's wrapped in an orange sweater, and it's got, like you said, his name is Rockefeller. Well, anyway, the interesting thing behind it is Rockefeller was rich before he passed away. Right. So we got a rich person that actually owns the Mets. <laughs> and, and the interesting thing, Moose said, you know something, because I was talking with him about it, he said, wow. He, so he looked up something. He said the coming of an owl has two things. One is wisdom, mm-hmm. and the other part of the owl is that it's um good luck. good luck, isn't it? Yes, 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 you're right. Good luck, good luck. And the thing about an owl, when he comes in for his prey, the prey can't see him or hear him because his wings is built for being stout and quiet. Well, I guess that little mojo owl just came in there and removed canoe real quick. Saves us <laughs> twenty four uh <clears throat> million dollars worth a year, removed him out. Yeah. So the thing is, we hope soon that the little owl will soon be connected with the Mets, and I hope the Seven Line Army makes a sweater <laughs> of the little owl remembering the Mets. And that's my story for today. Then out, then out. So have a nice day, Vernon. <laughs> that's a good story there. And I, I think, uh, I think Darren. I'm trying to look right now. I think Darren follows me on Twitter. So Darren, you, you got a, you got an idea there? I can't find it as I'm talking. It's hard to do. Um, but. 
Yeah, so the cute little bird, actually, I was going to, if I remember, I wanted to do it last week, but on my way home this week, I, I know you guys saw the picture, which is still the background on my phone, I wanted to go past the tree on my way home this week, just to take a look at it, because I saw all these pictures of this this uh, Charlie Brown looking tree, and everybody's naming it a 2020 tree, but don't they all look like that when they, find, they get them right off the crane? Don't they all look like that? They have to tie them up and stuff, so I wanted to take a look for myself because that's how I am as a person. I like to see things for myself. Um, but yeah, that little that little owl, he was cute. He, he wasn't, he was an adult owl, actually. He wasn't a baby owl. He was an adult. Um, and he wasn't doing too good, actually. They, they um, had to nurse him back to health after being transported from upstate New York to here to New, to New York City. But hopefully Mets fans are, are just looking for any sort of sign that good things are coming in. Yeah, maybe maybe Rockefeller brought the Mets a little bit of luck. And by Rockefeller, I mean maybe Steve Cohen. And what is going on in New York Giants land? I know this is a story that, um, you know, was at the beginning of this, this week a little bit. But I'd like to give my two cents on this. What the heck is going on between the coaching? Is it the Royal Rumble? happening in the Meadowlands? Do we need a ring announcer for what's going on or what went down between Joe Judge and Mark Colombo? That's the power of the internet. Wasn't it one tweet that went out that said they brawled and then a flurry of tweets of trusted reporters, all of them, all of the beat reporters, saying that, no, in fact, there was no brawl. We will look at all different points of view really quickly on that, the brawl between... Joe Judge and Mark Colombo. Right after the break. The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Right through the cracks. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose. Coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. It's Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan reacting to Jets and Chargers in L.A. Flacco at quarterback. Yeah, the one game that everyone had circled on the Week 11 slate. Plus NBA free agency in full swing. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Radio.com. Welcome back to The Fan. I'm Danielle McCartan. Pat, I was hoping you were going to play this song. This is Katy Perry. This is the Tiesto remix of Resilient... And then there's a Spanish singer in here. I can't remember her name. But yes, uh, this is a good song because the Giants have been resilient this season. I know that's not um, maybe a word you associate with the Giants as of recently, but they have been. And they've been winning games and they've been stringing wins together. And unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, the bye week has come at a bad time for them. I think that they were just starting to really gel together. And I hope that the bye week doesn't mess up anything for them. But... Maybe I should do my, let's get ready to rumble. Here is a hypothetical. You run a business. Follow me here. You run a business. You've handpicked the people that you've put in management positions. One of your managers isn't producing enough because in your opinion, he doesn't have the experience necessary in order to do so. So what do you do? You spend time with him and his workers over the course of a few weeks. Then you decide you're going to back off, but you're going to put in someone with three times more experience than him to help him in the meantime. Your manager does not like that. You get into an argument and you fire him on the spot. 
and you replace him with that more experienced guy. Is that so far-fetched? This is Joe Judge firing Mark Colombo to put his stamp on the franchise. Because Joe Judge is the boss, and he comes from a position that he knows best. And you know what? He just might. And maybe you look at it from another point of view. No, I did not read that article. This is out of my own brain. Maybe you look at it from Colombo's point of view. You've been coaching the league for three seasons. Your head coach decides he's going to take on a more hands-on approach to your unit in recent weeks. In those same recent weeks, your players have been performing better than they ever have all season long. People around the league are noticing. The line is gelling. You've got a nice little rotation system in place. And then your head coach brings in a consultant with whom he has history with in New England for two seasons. Oh, yeah. And what's not really being talked about? The consultant. I haven't heard this really anywhere. The consultant, Dave, I'll say it in Italian, De Guglielmo, in Indianapolis. Colombo, the player, told De Guglielmo, I hate saying it in English, but the player told Dave, who was his coach at the time, in Indianapolis, Colombo tells him, I learned more from you than in any of my other 11 seasons in the league. So there's a dynamic there. There's a relationship there. Coach-player. That judge brings in coach to teach former player about, about things. But why would you hire that consultant to begin with? If you were Mark Colombo, would you be happy being watched by an outsider who would probably be reporting your every move to your superior? If you were Mark Colombo, would you expect your head coach tell you what he expects from you, not some other guy from outside the organization? I think both are valid points of view, especially given the history between consultant Di Guglielmo and coach Colombo. The problem is the manner in which it was handled. You aren't going to get anywhere, especially with your boss, Screaming at him. It's not going to go anywhere. Unfortunately for you. You have to be a little bit more, what's the word? Tact? Is that the word? You have to have a little more tact in how you approach the situation. You cannot get into a a screaming match. And no, there were no punches thrown. I wasn't there. But a lot of the beat reporters who I trust, Art Stapleton, even Jordan Renan, Kim Jones, they were all saying that there were no punches. That's good for me. 877-337-6666. 877-337-6666. We're talking New York Giants on this bye week or uh, in defense of Sam Darnold or Cano's suspension. I mean, anything. What about DJ LeMayhew? Why hasn't he signed on the Yankees down the line yet? Let's go to Tim in East Haven, Connecticut. Tim, you're on the fan. I'm proud to be a New York Giant visiting team. Small things for a Giant, first and long. Small things for a Giant. I'm proud to be a New York Giant. Tim, always the song. Back in the day when my father took me to the Meadowlands, they used to come out to that song. But we're not going to date myself. So I'm really impressed with Mr. Joe Judge, Joe Judge, Joe Judge. Very happy he nipped it in the bud. You know, Colombo came at him with something that uh, you probably shouldn't be saying to your boss. Do I know exactly what was said? No, I do not. But obviously, 
it's not something you would say to your boss. And let's compare him to Mr. Gase. Hmm. When Greg Williams basically called him out in front of the media, yep. he did nothing about it. Nothing. Zero. And there's your difference right there. Yep. Joe Judge could handle a team. Adam Gase cannot. Joe Judge can uh, govern a group of men and lead them to the promised land. Well, maybe not yet. Adam Gase cannot. We can do this all night, Tim. We can really do this all night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking my call. Tim, of course. Thanks for the song. As always, talk to you next week. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah, I mean, I think Joe Judge in his first year as an NFL coach, he has absolutely shown that he is capable of being a head coach in this league. The way he handled that, the way that he nipped that problem or perceived problem right in, right, right there, done. That was it. He fired him on the spot. He fired him on the spot. But part of me thinks, and maybe this is just the cynic in me, but part of me thinks that maybe he just brought in the consultant in order to give him the ax. Maybe that's just the, the, the cynic in me. I don't know. But between that situation and the situation with Golden Tate and how he did not let Golden Tate win that battle. And he had to actually come out and apologize. He made him do it. Maybe he didn't tell him to, but he did it. I mean, I, I think Joe Judge... See, oh, first let me finish that thought. I think Joe Judge is the real deal. I think the Giants got a good one. I'll say it every single week. Um, yeah, the record isn't what... It, what what Giants fans want it to be. Neither is the the roster is not what Joe Judge wants it to be either. So you got to give him some time on that. But what he's doing, the system he's instilling, the 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 culture, and I hate to use that word culture. I, I wish there was a better word, but the fact that you heard David Deal say it last week on the show, he he works the guys hard, he cares about them, and then he asks about their families. That's how it should be. You're on the field, it's football time. You're off the field. You should have a relationship with your players. And, Daniel, speaking of which, when you, you know, you throw the buzzword culture and everybody throws those buzzwords around when they hire a new coach, like culture, is he a leader of men? Does he have the gravitas? Like, it's easy to get, you know, to lose those buzzwords, those corny sayings. But, like, you know, with comparing him and Gase, this is exactly what you're talking about. The examples, you know, with dealing with the coaching staff, with dealing like players. And so far, literally, Joe Judge has checked every box when it comes to being a leader. And showing that he's going to be the, you know, the boss, and he's leading by example. And that's it, too. You're going to be the boss because guess what? You know your stuff. That's what it is. So when I was coaching, when I was coaching softball, I should say, well, any sport, really, but when I was coaching softball, I, I knew my stuff. I know my stuff. I think you guys know that. And so what I said went. And a lot of times... There's kids that have their, oh, my batting coach or, oh, my fielding coach said this and this and that. That's fine. You could you could do that if it works for you, but this is the system we're running here. This is how we do it here. And I know it works because, one, I've studied it. Two, I've done it myself. Three, there's research to back it. So that's how we're going to do it. So if I know my stuff as, as, a, as a coach, I don't even want to say head coach because I was the only coach. And if Joe Judge knows his stuff as the coach, I don't see what the big deal is here.
because I think Joe Judge does know his stuff. I mean, if you have you watched, and, and here's the other thing: if you want to compare the two of them, I mean, there is no comparison. But if you wanted to compare the two of them, have you ever watched the Adam Gase show? And then have you ever watched the the Joe Judge show? I forget what it's called, the Joe Judge Report or whatever it's called. It's just they don't compare. I mean, you got Joe Judge talking about. Um, I watched one where he was talking about they he designed punts like when the Giants are punting. They, he designed it so that there's a an extra gunner in there. He sets a guy back about 10 yards on the line of scrimmage, and by the time the ball is snapped and kicked, the guy is running full speed. He crosses the, the, the sticks line, I think he calls it. He crosses the sticks just as the ball is, uh, is being kicked, which is perfect timing. And then, therefore, then the Giants have three gunners instead of the standard too. I mean, the guy is just inventive and you watch Adam Gase and, and you just wonder, you just wonder, wonder what the Jets saw in hiring him. The guy has done nothing but lose. He has been done nothing but, I guess as a result of the losing or maybe his personality or his inability to be a leader of men in a locker room as a head coach. He, the talent has been flying out the door. Jamal Adams, out the door. Le'Veon Bell, out the door. Uh, Avery Williamson, out the door. And just just keeps going on and on. You can pick any any big name from any tenure, whether it be the Jets or the Dolphins. Of Ad- I mean, the guy's, in my opinion, the guy is never going to be a head coach in the league ever again. But the fact that the Jets haven't said or done anything about this yet and maybe you don't want to fire him midseason. I mean, I guess the best case scenario for Jets fans is is that he is still the coach so that you can lose every single game this season so that you can go out and get that number one draft pick. And then what do you do with that number one draft pick? Do you go out and get Trevor Lawrence? Or do you trade the pick for more picks? And the Jets have a lot of picks moving forward. And they have a lot of cap space. Hopefully they won't have this head coach at the helm. But not saying anything has been worrying me. The vote of confidence worried me. But maybe no news is good news in in Jets Nation. Maybe it's just the way that they're playing it. And uh, I don't know why. I almost want to think, like, is Adam Gase the coach of the future for this team? Because if he is, I mean, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go on uh, whatever site and sell all my Jets things. That's it. Done. Because Jets fans are the most, I don't know the right word for it. I, I would say passionate, I guess, comes to mind. But but Jets fans are the most passionate fans. I mean, through the good, through the bad, Jets fans show up. And I think ownership has asked, tested the patience of and asked a lot of Jets fans this season and even back to last season and even back to the seasons that they didn't make the playoffs over the past, what well, has it been, 10 years or so, right? You guys know how I feel about Adam Guru. The guy should never have been given a chance to coach after the debacle that happened with the Dolphins. After Ryan Tannehill... Pretty much is the comeback player of the year. Ryan Tannehill is with the uh, with with the Titans. 
and we can go down the list of players that play exponentially better, offensive players even, that play exponentially better without and, and being out from the grips of Adam Gurugase. And the jet and it was it was it was there. The track record was there. And unfortunately for the Jets, they did not see it or did not care to see it or were blinded by Peyton Manning's uh recommendation of it. I, 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 and, and the fact that Sam Darnold was consulted about the coach, the 21-year-old Sam Darnold was consulted. Do you want this guy to be your head coach? Yeah, sure. Give me him as a head coach. What does he know? He's just coming out of USC, coming into the league for the first time. What does he know? And I don't know how involved he was in it, but I, I would venture to guess that he was very involved in it. I think he really believed in Adam Gase. But you can't put that on a 21-year-old kid who's just entering the league. You can't do it. Oh, now I'm getting all fired up here about the Jets. And the Jets play this week. They're playing the uh, the 2-7 and seven Chargers, and we can preview that game coming up uh, after the update. We've got Mike McCann on the update. I am Danielle McCartan. He is Mike McCann. And this is McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Danielle McCartan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Fan. WFAN. Welcome back, everybody. I am Danielle McCartan here on The Fan. New York City. It is 3.04 and 33 seconds here in the Mike Francesa studio here, everybody. Get aboard. 877-337-6666. Got some open lines for you. Has your name written all over them. And and we were just talking about coaching and, and comparing. And really, there there really is no comparison between Joe Judge and, and Adam Gase. Let's be honest. There's another coach that I meant to mention this next last week, but Bill Belichick. You know, obviously he shunned the Jets or he spurned the Jets, whatever word you want to use there. But he um, he doesn't like coffee. You guys see that story? He just doesn't like coffee. He said he doesn't stand the smell of it. He can't stand the smell of it. He doesn't like ice cream. He doesn't like coffee ice cream. And he likes every sweet that has ever been made. But that's not one of them. So I also don't like I do like the smell of coffee, but I don't like the taste of it. I've tried it a few times. Coffee ice cream is a no. So... I don't know, me and Bill Belichick and me and Joe Judge, I mean, I kind of like to align myself with them rather than Adam Guru, Adam Guru Gase. In the open, we talked uh, in defense of Sam Darnold and and why Sam Darnold should be the Jets quarterback moving forward. Um, I used to hold that belief. That was my firm belief. Now he's out another week. You got Joe Flacco starting this week. Sam Donald's missing his fourth game in six games. It's just, I think it's it's just time is up. I think time is up for for Sam Donald, and I think he's going to go somewhere else. And he might be the play uh, uh, the comeback player of the year, like Tannehill was. You never know, because he's going to be getting out of the grips of Adam Gase, Adam Guru, and I would love. If you would call up here and try to make a defense of Adam Gase, I don't think there is. It's it's indefensible for that guy to keep his job. And as a collateral damage, poor Sam Darnold. Poor Sam Darnold. I'll use that. I feel bad for the kid. Poor Sam Darnold. Um, his career was over with the New York Jets before it even started. 877-337-6666. We are going to be joined by Amy Dash at 320. 
hopefully talk some stimulating legal talk. Yeah, tonight about the Robinson Cano deal, um, DeAndre Baker, and that newest news. I mean, they're going to make a Netflix show out of that one day, I think. And also about, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, Jeff Lunau. See, I'm still angling for Jeff Lunau to be the GM of the Mets. But he's got a little thing called a lawsuit going on, so we're going to have to wait and see what Amy says about that. So back to the phones. Ben in Queens. Ben, you're on the fan. Morning there, Coach. How are you, Ben? Firstly, about the Knicks, I got my guy. I said it. I told people. I got my guy, and they're like, well, well, um, why are you so confident? And I'm like, I saw 11 of Dayton's games last year Mm -hmm. before this thing went down. He looked to me like a Scottie Pippen type, okay? Mm. I know he's an under-the-basket type player now, but so was Scottie in college. He's going he's gonna to eventually be that small forward, uh, uh, power forward hybrid. And that's, that's the way the game is going, that, that hybrid model. Even in the WNBA, it's like the small forward, power forward hybrid. You think of like Elena Deladon, players like that. that that's the, the way the game is going, for sure. Yeah. But I do agree with you. They needed a they do need a a point guard, and I got to see this uh, uh, Quigley guy play from Kentucky. But mm-hmm. again, it's Kentucky. This it's either it's either uh, falls off the map or it's going to be a big star. Right, and, and how <laughs> lucky the Knicks were that Toppin fell to them. I didn't think I didn't think so. <laughs> hey, like I said, I, I he's the guy I wanted. Like before when we when we had the lottery, I was like, ugh. Uh, that he's going to get picked up sooner. But all mm-hmm. those trades actually ended up helping the Knicks. Yeah, surprisingly. It was a smart yeah. move. <laughs> yeah, so knock on wood, he grows in the system. And uh, I, I will say, if he becomes like 50 to 75% of what Tatum is for Boston, mm-hmm. I'm good with that. Well, we'll have to just wait and see how he develops, yeah. and that's the thing. Uh. Uh, three college ones quickly. Rutgers, oh, so so close. Oh, the only team today that is feeling more pain than Rutgers at the loss of how close they were is UCLA. Because UCLA is going to sit down and look in the mirror. Like the only reason Oregon beat us tonight is because we gave them two touchdowns. <laughs> Yeah. We we weren't doing anything. You know what? I take that back. There's one other team, Liberty. Mm. Oh, oh, <laughs> the NC State's offense is not doing a thing against you, and you throw an Eli Manning special to give them field position that they use to get their only touchdown on you. Yeah, that that's pain. I know. They had, uh, on the TV here in the studio, we, I'm watching Iowa Penn State highlights and the oh. bomb that he just. The Penn State bomb, it was a touchdown. There it is. Dude's a good coach. This this trying circumstances. I I mean I don't think you can him, but it's Penn State. They are arrogant about this, and this start may may seal his fate. Quickly about the the Jets and yes. NFL. Um, look, Jet fans who are hoping for a win. This is this is it. This is the last. Jet. San Diego, uh, San Diego. L.A. Chargers yeah. don't blow out anybody, A. They play every game close, B. Ben, every single game I looked, every single game <clears throat> they played this season has been decided by one possession. Yes, yes, yes. So so that 
That's the whole thing here. And their coach, unfortunately, is saddled with the thing that in the last two minutes of these games, he doesn't exactly make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. So so there, there's your spark of hope, Jets fans. There it is. If Joe Flacco can remember who he is and not turn the ball over, and, and that's an idle one. And I can't wait for Raiders Chiefs. I cannot wait for this because Gruden – Gruden's mouth has made this now <laughs> a, a pre-Super Bowl ultra-hype fest. Let's that, not put that, the Raiders in the Super Bowl idea just yet, but I get what you mean with like the, the ex- hype. I get you. Exactly. Just I'm not saying the Raiders are a Super Bowl team. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the hatred, the animosity. The, this is feeling like, uh, like, like uh, Alabama-Auburn right now, <laughs> and that's great. The NFL needs that. Yeah. Coach? Enjoy your night. Good luck with the interview. Ben, thank you. Appreciate it. And Jets fans, do you want to win the game later today or not? That is the question. Keith in Sheldon, Connecticut. You're on the fan, Keith. Hey, what's up? What's up? Nothing. Um, So what I was – everyone's talking about, like, Sam and everything else. Does Sam have – like the contract situation, what is that like? Cause, so, like, is he going to be our? Like, can we just renew the quarter the contract, or what's the deal? So Sam Darnold um, has a fifth year option, so he he can be let go at the end of this year. But is that the Jets' decision or his? It's. I believe it is. Oh, let me think. I think it's the Jets' decision, if I'm not mistaken. I think. Yeah. So what that it's so crazy. Like when they come to the draft, everyone says he could be like a second round pick and yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. I just I don't you know when then it comes to Trevor and all that. Right. I just you know so, so like so which side of the fence are you on? Those, yeah. Are you picking Sam what, or are you picking Trevor moving forward? Well, I think at this point, I mean, Sam doesn't play. I mean, this is three years in. He misses half the season. You know what I, mean? I know, I know. It's yeah. hard to, to give him any yeah. sort of evaluation on the guy, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and w- just one more thing. Yeah. I uh, I was giving you a hard time on Twitter about the whole Cano thing. Oh, that was <laughs> but, you. Uh, oh, that was you. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you picked up the phone. I didn't even have to use the tough yeah. guy line yet. Keith, oh, I got you right here. No, Keith. no, no. <laughs> no, I, no. I, have much love, I have much love for all of you. I, it just... Uh, I don't know. I, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you picking up the phone there, Keith. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Dave in West Babylon. Dave, you're on the fan. How you doing, Danielle? It's been a while. I know, uh, Dave. What's I up? Got, I got to say that I never thought I'd say this, but the Cincinnati Bengal game is a huge game <laughs> <laughs> between the, the Bengals and the, and the Giants. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, coming coming off the bye week, Yes, we have a couple of guys, you know, with with Corona right now, and Matt Parrott, Caden Smith. There's another guy too, and with this uh, with this firing of Colombo. Yeah. But what what I have to say is, I mean, we really need to win because people are going to really ride this train if if we don't. But what do you think about the dynamic between uh, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett at this point? I mean, to me, it's fascinating. I mean, you have another head coach. Yes. And Columbo was his pick. Yes. So, 
either he's going to really resent the fact that Judge treated him that way, or he's going to respect what Joe Judge did. Um, I know that you know, the, the offense has been given a lot. I mean, I was the one that told you about, I, we really need to give the kid a chance. Yes. DJ Daniel Jones a Agreed. chance. And he's improving. Yes, he is. But was that improvement because of the offensive line? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I actually, I, I kind of said, wow, oh, okay, so this is why um, stuff was going on. Maybe it was Columbo was confusing him or something. I don't know. But what do you, what do you think about that dynamic between Joe Judge and uh, Jason Garrett? Thanks for taking my call. It's great to hear you again, and I'll listen to your answer. Thanks a lot. Dave, thanks. And that's, that's a really good question because you, you laid it out there. Columbo was a Jason Garrett guy. He was not a Joe Judge guy. So now, what's the da- dynamic going to be like? And that's a great question because, because of that fact. But I think Joe Judge has established it is his team. And I think Jason Garrett, although he may not like it, I think Jason Garrett just has to deal with it. Right? I mean, that's the culture. There's that buzzword again. But that's the precedent, I should say. That's the precedent that Joe Judge set forth moving forward. So although Jason Garrett might not like it, as a former head coach himself, you said it. He's going to have to deal with it. Or guess what? He might find himself without a job. Al, in New Jersey, you're on the fan. Okay, I'm going to make a case for Adam Gaze. Oh, no. First of all, he was, he was really good for Miami because they got two at Tagliota. They got a first-round draft pick from Houston. <laughs> they got a first-round draft pick from Pittsburgh. So because of that, would you rather have Tannehill or Tugla or Tagliota? Maybe oh. it's really bad, but I think Tagliota has better upside. Oh, the man. Jets are going to get Trevor Lawrence, guaranteed, because they're not going to win a game. Yeah. This guy is doing, he's like in the movie The Producers, you know? <laughs> he's there to lose. And, and guaranteed. It's like what the Houston Astros did in, in 15 and 16. Yeah. This guy, you can tell he's not a good head coach. But that's the perfect. He's perfect for that. You're going to get Trevor Lawrence. He's the gem. You know what? That that just lifted my spirits there, Al. Because, uh, yeah, that that would be the only contribution that that Adam Gase has made to this team over the past. What has it been? Two years, three years with him. You're right. Yes. You, you're going to get a franchise quarterback for ten years yeah. because of him. Yeah, and then hopefully he'll be gone, and he's not going to be working with that franchise quarterback. Hopefully. Oh, he's going to be gone at the end of the year. He's done his job. <laughs> Mission complete, right? Yes. That's correct. <laughs> Al, are you a Jets fan? I have to I have to know. I actually am a Giant fan, oh, but I, I like every New York, but I like every New York team. Me you and know, you. In other words, yes, Al, me yep. and you. Me and you, man. I, no one really gets that around here. Me and you are the same. Yep. I, there's no New York team that can do bad. The Rangers, the Knicks, the Islanders, they're all good. Yep. Except for when they play each other, then you got to make a little hierarchy decision there. So when the Jets play the Giants, I grew up on the island. So ah, I, okay, I, gotta, I grew up on the island, so that should tell you. Yeah. All right, Al. Thanks for the call, and, and I like that. I thought I was going to have to go all, uh, you know, crazy on you for defending Adam Gase here. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Bye. Bye. And that's just a different perspective. I told you in the open that we do different perspectives here on my show, and that was one of them. I thought I was going to have to go all uh, all crazy on him for defending Adam Gase. I, I don't know any single person that can defend him. Can you imagine if Adam Gase starts a revolution where coaches, like, he gets hired for every team that <laughs> oh, needs no. to tank? Oh. It's like, all right, we need, a, you know, we need the number one pick. Oh. Hire Gase.
Imagine that. Yeah, you know what? He's been battle tested, uh, you know, in that scenario in two teams now, basically. So, you know what? That wouldn't be a bad idea. Wanting to tank? Hire Adam Gase. Hey, it's as hard to go 0-16 as it is 16-0. That is correct. And that brings me to the fact that that's the San Diego. I always want to say San Diego, and the caller did it before. The Los Angeles Chargers have played every single game within one possession, two of which in overtime. Would this, it could this, be the game that the New York Jets just happened to pull off? They're nine and a half point underdogs. Last I checked on FanDuel. I don't know. This is going to be this is going to be uh, one for the ages. I, I I think we can talk more about that after we speak with Amy Dash here on the fan at three twenty. I'm Danielle McCartan. We're joined right now by the official legal analyst for WFAN and other places, but most importantly, WFAN, Amy Dash. Amy, thanks for joining us tonight on McCartan After Midnight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. We've got three items on the docket for you tonight, Amy. Robinson Cano and the Mets, the DeAndre Baker saga, and Jeff Lunau's lawsuit. So I think first we'll start with the most recent, I guess, is is Cano. Um, Mm -hmm. As we all know, he's facing a 162-game suspension. Um, Question for you, like without an exact date for the vaccine's distribution, let's just address it that this upcoming season could be shortened for COVID reasons like it was last year. So what is the language on that for a guy at 38 years old? Would that 162-game suspension spill over to the following year, or is it one season? That's a really interesting question. Um, It's going to be uh, well, yeah, no, it's 162 games. So I believe that they're going to take it at face value and it's going to spill over. That's my belief. Um, there's no clarity on that because obviously we've never had a situation like this before, um, but it's on a per game basis. So, I mean, just to answer your question very simply, I think that it could spill over into the following year. However, you know, he's paid per game. So it that really depends on how they're going to factor into how are they going to pay those games that do fit into the season next year versus games the following season? Is he going to get his full $24 million? How much of that is he going to forfeit? Right now, the reports are saying that he's going to forfeit all $24 million. So if he doesn't appeal the suspension and he tested positive for an actual steroid, so there's not much room there for misinterpretation, um, the thought is that he's going to have to be suspended for every single one of those games and it's going to amount to $24 million all in all. So let's maybe then assume that there is a full season, 162 games. Does, does that make him eligible for the playoffs in 2020? Cause I think the Mets are going to get there. <laughs> well, that's wishful thinking. Um, I listen. Yeah. If he, as long as he serves those games, he can play anytime after that. So, I mean, the thought was that it was, you know, it's 80 games for the first time that you have an offense. And then the ante is up to the second time. And then the third time, you're banned from the league. Now, it's interesting to me why the CBA doesn't give these clubs an out with players like that on the second offense. Because when you have a player like him who signed such a massive contract, you know, it was 10 years, $240 million, now they are stuck in that contract through 2023. So even though, yes, he forfeits the $24 million, they're still in for another $40 million. And it's really hard when you've had someone now who's tested positive twice for PED use 
to try to trade that player or get out of the contract. So I'm unsure about why the CBA has not made it two strikes you're out instead of three strikes you're out, aside from just trying to be cheesy and, and keep it in tune with, you know, the feel of baseball is, you know, three strikes you're out just because that's how the game is played. It doesn't really make sense to me on the discipline side as to why someone would get a third chance um, and then the clubs would have to pay them and sort of keep them around after they've been proven as cheaters twice. Cano for, and, and I'm with you on that, and Cano for a lot of Mets fans represents a bad trade by a bad, now fired general manager. So in what are the Mets' financial options moving forward if they wanted to just snap their fingers and make him be gone? Because as you know, after this suspension, like you said, he is still on the payroll. Yeah, that's the question because a lot of people are really excited about, oh, maybe this will be great for the Mets. It'll free up some money that they can play with and they can start building back the team. The problem is if you're going to put like Jeff McNeil at second base or whatever, shift around the outfield and think about who are you going to bring in, right? you're still going to have this guy that you're in for $40 million with Cano, you know, for 2022 and 2023. So they're going to want to use that money. He's obviously a really talented player. If they can't get rid of him through a trade, which who's going to want him now that he's tested positive twice, but you never know. um, They might want to put him back at second. So while people are getting really excited about, Oh, well, there's all these possibilities now that we have all this money. um, Listen, like they, they have to still factor in that are they building this team like five years out now or are they going to take into account that they may still want to use him at second um, after because they're, they're going to be stuck with him and they have to spend all of this money. Uh, but in terms of like what they can do to try to get out of the contract, it's not so easy. Um, the Yankees tried with A-Rod and with Giambi, you know, back in the day to try to avoid those contracts for PED use and when Giambi admitted it and obviously A-Rod was caught. And they found that it wasn't so simple. There is a moral clause in most of these MLB contracts, which you can sort of play with. And and the Yankees have tried to avoid it that way. The problem is that in the joint drug treatment prevention program for the MLB, which sort of governs all these PED discipline cases, it specifically says that the clubs cannot take discipline into their own hands. There is this standardized tier system of discipline where it's the 80 games, the 160 games, and then you're out of the league. And it specifically says in the uh, the document that they cannot try to void a player contract over this. Yeah. That's, that really hasn't stopped these clubs in the past from still trying under the moral clause, which you know basically says if you commit a crime or if you're not physically fit, you do things that wouldn't make you physically fit purposefully that, you know, you don't live up to the standards of baseball that they can void the contract. This sort of general language that they've tried to play upon in the past, but have been unsuccessful doing so. Has any team been successful? Not that I know of. No. Well, not since the joint drug treatment prevention program came out because it specifically says that you can't do that action of trying to void a contract to punish somebody for PED use. Um, But you know, that's something that maybe the clubs might want to look at Though I'm not sure that it's going to be as big of a problem in the future because, you know, with A-Rod, with Giambi, with Cano, you have these like massive guaranteed contracts that span so many years. And I don't really think that's the norm anymore, maybe because of, of this issue. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, could they, if they wanted to, with Steve Cohen and all his money, could they just buy him out and be gone with him? 
They could. They could do that. But I mean, I don't know, like, what the cost-benefit analysis there is to them. Is it, is it because Steve Cohen seems like a really principled guy, so he just wants to get rid of somebody who has that cheater label and doesn't want them part of the culture of the Mets? So therefore, it's worth it to him to spend that money or maybe try to, like, negotiate a settlement where he walks away and they don't try to void the contract so they all have to go through those legal proceedings. That's definitely a possibility. We're speaking with two-time Emmy winner Amy Dash here on The Fan. Next up on tonight's docket is DeAndre Baker and the absolute telenovela saga, whatever you want to call it, that it's been. And I came here uh, you know, on The Fan at, from a standpoint of let's just wait and see what this is all about before we make a cut-and-dry decision on the kid. I wanted more details. The media told us these more details, and all signs pointed to guilt on four counts of armed robbery. He was cut by the Giants. Then he was cleared of all charges. And at this point, does DeAndre Baker have any recourse against the Giants having cut him based solely on accusations? No, because um, they're, they're allowed to do that. I mean, if they think that somebody, you know, has committed any type of conduct detrimental to the league, um, they or the league could actually suspend or take disciplinary measures or cut part with the player. Um, he he may try to sue them. I mean, we've seen other players in the past do that. But um, like, for example, you know, Ray Rice had obviously a really big a lawsuit against the Ravens. But um, I, I don't think that he would really win against the Giants on those grounds. I think that, listen, he was definitely at a party where there was illegal gambling. So right off the bat, you have uh, reason to get rid of him. Uh, they don't need for him to have committed a felony in order to justify doing so. Mm -hmm. So just his presence there, um, which obviously a lot of people were able to validate, and even he, his attorneys admitted that he was there, but they said that he was just, you know, playing video games. Um, but yeah, so I don't think against the Giants, no. In terms of like what he's facing right now, a lot of people have been asking, well, could he be punished by the league? He could still be suspended and punished by the league. But like I said, by virtue of being at an illegal gambling operation. Um, but in terms of like the courts, they've dropped the charges. So I think he's pretty much free and clear, which is a drastic um, turnaround from facing, you know, maybe potentially 60, 70 years in prison had he been convicted on all of those hefty felony charges versus nothing. And now he can just go to another team and resume his, his uh, career, which is amazing with the newest twist in this story, besides the fact that he did go and he did sign with the Super Bowl favorite Kansas City Chiefs, is that the opposing lawyer was just charged with extortion. I mean, this is like some movie. This is like a Netflix drama, it sounds like. So Yeah, yeah. I like to compare Andy Reid's team to like the longest yard because he just keeps scooping up all these troubled players. You know, he's like Tariq Hill, yes. You know, uh, DeAndre Baker, yes. Kareem Hunt, yes. Like it doesn't matter as long as they're amazing players. He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, what their checkered pasts are, what the accusations against them are. And of course, people are innocent until, until proven guilty. But it's just... Um, now you have all the lawyers involved, which I've never before seen in my life, where the lawyers are willing to put themselves on the line for for these players and get involved in things like extortion. Because it wasn't just the one lawyer who um, was defending a couple of the witnesses who's now charged with extortion. Um, Quinton Dunbar's lawyer, also there were accusations that he was playing a part in uh, some sort of a payoff, which he denied and charges were never brought. But just the accusation alone was really shocking to me. I did not know that part. I mean, this is literally going to be a Netflix. We're going to see this on Netflix one day. <laughs> yeah, possibly. 
Now, now, maybe I'll be, maybe I'll produce that. Yes. Maybe I'll narrate it. <laughs> you can narrate it and I'll do the legal commentary. <laughs> but, but now Baker, I mean, his characters, I mean, I mean, he got scooped up by the chiefs, but in my opinion, his character is a little tarnished. Could, could he go on the offensive now against this, uh, these lawyers? And do you recommend that he does? Yeah, in terms of, well, that's an interesting question. Oh, I like a lot of your questions tonight. I, they're, they're questions that I haven't been asked in the past. Um, yeah, sure. In terms of like defamation, if, if the lawyer or any of the witnesses had said anything and it had been published, he could go and, and try to defend himself that way because you're talking about any type of a, a scar in his reputation or his marketability. But, um, you know, the lawyer first has to go through the legal process. You really need a criminal conviction in order to bring a civil suit. So a lot of people wait for the criminal process to play out in the courts before they try to bring any type of civil charges against somebody for damages. But certainly. We're speaking with WFAN's official legal analyst, Amy Dash. The third item and final item is somewhat fringe New York sports related. And, and I say it counts because Jeff Lunau is my number one choice for Nets, the Mets general manager opening. And we'll keep it. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this, but A, Lunau sent, and this is obviously with the Astros cheating scandal for, for everybody listening. A, Lunau sent, sent 22,000 texts and a 150-page binder to Rob Manfred to prove that he didn't know anything about the cheating scandal. And then the MLB, in issuing its final report, did not reference any of the sources that Lunau provided. To me, that sounds like they didn't even look at the sources. To a lawyer, to you, to a legal expert, what does that omission mean? Well, it's interesting because, like you said, so... Most of these texts and chat messages were with um, Kochweiser, and he was the team's director of advanced information. And basically, the accusation from Lunau now is that, listen, Kochweiser was the mastermind. He remained with the team. Um, the owner, Jim Crane, went with Rob Manfred, and they negotiated this resolution where basically the point of the resolution was to scapegoat Lunau, according to him, mm -hmm. and sort of exonerate Crane so that his image wouldn't be tarnished and that the team could keep their world series championship and just basically put all the blame on Lunau. So, you know, now he's suing obviously and saying, Hey, when you did this investigation, it wasn't really an investigation. It was a negotiated resolution. This was a deal where the owner of a team that was supposed to be under investigation came together with the commissioner and sort of just figured who to place the blame on so that the team could move on. The players were never disciplined because they cooperated. And he's basically saying that everything fell on him. And then you have, you know, other managers and employees with the team who go on and they get hired. And then this guy who, like you said, he'd be an interesting pick for the Mets because he really transformed uh, that team. Um, you know, over years, I mean, brought them all the way to, to the World Series right. when when they were an awful team. Uh, that he he can't get a job, but that these other guys are getting hired left and right or remaining with the team. Um, like you had AJ Hinch, the manager, join the Tigers, and and the former bench coach Alex Coro is is with the Red Sox. So the question is, yeah, why can't Lunau get hired? But the, the lawsuit's not helping. I mean, I think that might be a deterrent because somebody who's suing a club, well, another club isn't going to want to bring someone like that in, whether they're right or wrong, because it's a liability. Hmm. And another guy who got his job back was Tom Koch Weiser, who you mentioned, still employed by the club, the ringleader. So 
I guess, would this situation, would his lawsuit, I mean, I'm no legal analyst, but would his lawsuit of this whole scapegoat idea hold up in court? It could. I mean, he wants a jury trial, um, unspecified damages. Basically, this is like a wrongful termination suit. And it's saying, listen, he was fired. He wasn't fired for just cause and then sort of throws forth this conspiracy theory over why he was fired. Um, but it's interesting because now it's being dragged into the Mike Bolsinger suit against the Astros, where you know, he's obviously suing the team and suing Crane because when he was pitching for the Blue Jays, he said that the whole sign stealing just destroyed his career. Um, he couldn't get hired after that because of what happened. You know, they obviously knew all the pitches that he was going to that he was going to um, throw. So now he has this si sort of simultaneous lawsuit going on against the Astros and Crane. And so as his team is looking to depose Crane in court, they're bringing this up, the Lunau suit up, and they're saying, well, listen, you said, Crane, that you had no idea that the sign-stealing scandal was going on, so you shouldn't be liable. But what about Jeff Lunau now saying that you did know all about it and that he played no part in it and that you just tried to scapegoat him? So now they're actually using that as ammunition in the Bolsinger suit, which is really interesting. So the Astros just have a lot of legal problems on their hands. I know. And, you know, everybody looked at Mike Bolsinger like, oh, poor him story that he never got a pitching job again. But here he is, you know, and do I mean, does the combination of both Bolsinger and Lunau together, does it strengthen the case against the Astros and Crane? Um, you know, I'm not so sure. I just think there's a lack of evidence as to who knew what, when. And that's sort of another argument that Lunau was putting forth is like, there was no clear evidence that I knew anything about this. You just tried to blame it on me. Um, and like, like you said, you know, you, they had um, Weiser Koch and you had 22,000 messages and this guy still stays with the team. And just because that guy said that Lonow knew about it, Manfred and everybody else jumped on board. And so, you know, he's, there's, there's really no direct evidence as to what happened aside from that guy, you know, Koch Weiser and all those messages and showing that implicating him. So I think it's, it's just, it's just like a really tough incident that was never properly investigated. The punishment was never properly meted out. I mean, just the fact that the team kept the, the world championship title in and of itself shows a lot of weakness on the commissioner's part. But I, I don't think that um, one will really like influence the other too much. I think it's going to be based on the law. And I think um, I think they're both, to be honest with you, I think they're both kind of weak cases. And I agree with you on all of that, all of that about the Astros. My final question is, and since Jeff Lunell is my top choice to be the Mets GM, because like you said, what he did, you know, in scouting and stuff like that. But if it's such a weak case and if teams are not willing to hire him, would you advise him just to just drop it and just move on and get a job and be done with it? Well, I think the problem with his, him is that there were a lot of teams looking for a GM who passed on him. And so maybe he feels that his reputation has been tarnished. He may not be able to secure a spot. Therefore, he's going after the money that he's owed from the club, you know, $22 million plus dollars, bonuses, all these things that he never got because he was fired. And so for him, like it's a cost-benefit analysis where you have to say, well, he's, he's probably going to pursue $22 million that he feels that he's owed versus like dropping it. And, and by the way, damage is already done. I mean, 
he already might look like a troublemaker in the eyes of these other clubs. Um, And then if he drops it, he doesn't get his money and he may not get hired. So that's sort of his dilemma. Mm, That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. Well, we'll have to just wait and see, but uh, lots of layers to this. Obviously that's a very difficult case here. Amy, thank you so much for joining us tonight and breaking this all down for us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You do a great job. Amy Dash with some uh, Dash knowledge. we got to make a hashtag for that. Hashtag Dash or something like that. Hey, DJ LeMayhew with Cano gone. Is DJ LeMayhew a perfect fit at second base for the New York Mets? Ooh, two perspectives. The Mets perspective and the Yankees perspective. Love to hear from both of you guys. I'm Danielle McCartan here on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Danielle McCartan here on McCartan After Midnight. He's Pat Boyle. He's answering the phones, 877-337-6666. And he's also playing DJ. This was my a special request, like gold, because DJ LeMayhew is like gold to all of these MLB teams. That's loud luxury, like gold. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Pat. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, that music video, if you ever see the music video for that, that's everything I aspire to be. <laughs> One guy that just is just a guy with just a shredded chest and like a <laughs> bunch of gold chains, yeah, just like banging on his chest as the beats dropping. Mm. I would be okay if if I did that and and did, never did anything else in my life. Got it. If Noted. I was the chest in that music video. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> I can't. Uh, good, but hey, that's I I picked it because DJ Lemayu is gold for the teams in the MLB. But before we do that, did anybody see? How Glaber Torres absolutely trolled Alex Bregman on the show, the video game, the show. He beamed it live, live streamed, beamed him with a pitch, and then he giggled about it. He like dropped, he was like obviously on a live stream, so he like dropped his head from being on the camera. I think we all giggled, right? But maybe some Astros fans didn't because he had to issue this little statement on Twitter. He wrote, Nothing personal. It's just a video game. It's a joke, people. All good. And he wrote joke with like three E's there. It's a joke, people. All good. And an okay hand emoji. Has almost a half a million views on Twitter. I love MLB The Show. Ma, if you're listening again this week, can you add that to my Christmas list, please? Now, DJ LeMayhew. Can and would DJ LeMayhew be a fit for the Mets, I've got a tweet from David Levenstein saying uh, during the commercial break, he said, DJ is not a good fit. McNeil is a second base. Let him play there and hit away. And then he went through his list of signings that he would want. And yes, of course. Right. All those guys. All of them. Yeah. Sign them all. DJ LeMayhew to the Mets. Robinson Cano is gone. Frees up some space at second base. Let's be honest, DJ LeMahieu is this, the best second baseman and even utility player in the league, a free agent anyway, in the league, in the class. What is the need for DJ LeMahieu in Queens? I'd argue, too, that there isn't one. Mets fans, I want to hear from you. Yankees fans, I want to hear from you. You got to ask yourself whether you're a fan of either team. That's 877-337-6666. Ask yourself, what are DJ LeMayhew's most attractive qualities? One, 
his defense. And this is in order. One, his defense. He's a three-time gold glove winner, all at second base. Two, his approach at the plate. He sprays the ball. We talked about this already. All around the field with a little bit of pop. But if you take the gold gloves out, and I know that's a big thing, but if you take the gold gloves out because he hasn't yet had a chance to earn them, could you also be describing McNeil? Great defender, plus defender, sprays the ball all over the field. Yes, the answer is yes. His defense. Jeff McNeil has played at the MLB level in second base, in left field, in right field, and at third base. His highest fielding percentage, definitely at second base. 989, and that number is important, 989 for Jeff McNeil. Fielding percentage, second base. DJ LeMayhew, 991. There's a difference of two hundredths of a point. LeMayhew is a little bit higher. How about the approach to the plate? Let's compare him. McNeil had the third highest batting average on the team last season. He was beat out only almost second because he was beat out by four hundredths of a point by Dom Smith. He was almost second. He had the third highest on base percentage on the team behind Conforto and Nimmo. So wouldn't you wouldn't you want to give a guy like that a chance to exceed in a, in a bigger role than what he's accustomed to having? I don't think the Mets have a need for DJ LeMahieu. As crazy as that sounds, I don't think the Mets have a need for him. I think with Cano gone, I think McNeil gets those reps. He deserved them for so long. For all this time that Cano was clogging up second base and blocking him from being put in the best defensive position for him to succeed. Defensive, anyway. Jeff McNeil is a completely competent second baseman. I like him as a player, I like him as a competitor, and I like him as a person. And he will have a monster year this year, mark my words. So after that rationale, I think the only reason that Mets fans would want DJ LeMahieu on their team would be to stick it to Yankees fans. I think that would be the only way to say like, you know when you're kids and you hold your nose and you do that sound? Oh, I got him, and you don't. Because he means so much to the Yankees. Mets don't have a real need. Sure, they'll take him, but they don't have a real need for him like the Yankees have a need for DJ LeMahieu. And Mets fans, your owner told you himself in that opening press conference. He said, quote, I am not competing against the Yankees. This is the Mets. We're going to create our own excitement. I do not think that bringing DJ LeMayu to Queens would generate that excitement. Then it would generate excitement in the Bronx. You know what I'm trying to say? I think it would be more exciting for him to be back in the, in the Bronx than it would be for him to be in Queens. David is then asking Danielle on Twitter at Coach M C C A R T A N. David says, Danielle on on offense, what does DJ do that McNeil can't? Yeah, we just went over this. McNeil on offense is just as good, if not better, with a little more power. Uh, I think DJ has a little bit more power. I'll disagree with you there, but they are the same type of hitter with the same philosophy at the plate. And I think that's a really we talked about it. I think that's a really big problem with the Yankees is their philosophy at the plate. 
I think the Yankees need to be more base hit conscious. And what better than to bring back DJ LeMahieu? But the problem is, all the teams around the league are wanting to take DJ LeMahieu to the big dance. The Washington Nationals being the latest of many in the list of suitors. But apparently, DJ LeMahieu still only has eyes for the New York Yankees. We all know he turned down that $18.9 million offer. The qualifying offer. I mean, I think everybody expected it. I think everybody. I don't think anybody was shocked by that. He's worth so much more than that. But it's hot stove season, right? So there's this report out on November 19th by a guy named Pat Ragazzo from the Metzmerize site. I'm only bringing it to you because Metzmerize was the one that Mark Stroman quote tweeted as being the site to break his news that he was returning to the Mets. So the sources were good on that front. And again, this is hot stove season, but this guy, Pat Ragazzo, according to the site, worked as a production assistant on several fan broadcasts live from the Giants training facility, among some other things. So no check mark, but I don't have one either, so I'll give him a chance. Anyway, he tweeted that his sources say that DJ LeMahieu is currently seeking a five-year deal and is willing to take less money to stay with the Yankees. Couple that with the Yankees' play-by-play TV voice on the Yes Network, Michael Kay, he's reporting that the Yankees are willing to go three to four years max with him. And then Jack Curry says that DJ LeMayu's agent, of course, believes that his client is worth, of course, in the five-year, $100 million category. Probably over $100 million. My question to you, Yankees fans, is that fifth year a deal-breaker? DJ LeMayu is currently 32 years old. He turns 33 on July 13th. So five years, he's going to be 38 years old. I, I think for me, I think I think I would be hesitant about that fifth year if I'm a Yankee fan. But I would be also nervous that the Mets would just poach him. I think D, the, DJ LeMay, who obviously has all of the leverage, and I think that Brian Cashman and the Yankees just have to go with it. I don't think they're in a position to sort of play hardball with him at that point. But... Hey, if he wants to be a Yankee, I, I think I would try to push for a four-year deal, maybe something like $23 million annually at that point. He would make a total of $92 million. It would probably push the Yankees past that, ta- that tax threshold, that, something that Hal Steinreiter did not want to do, but here we are. You have the most coveted free agent in the game, position player, that is, in my opinion. He, he apparently wants to come back to your team. But apparently he wants a five-year deal. Reports are that you're only willing to give him a three- to four-year deal. I think three is too low. I would not want him for just three years. I think four would be the happy medium. Then you got to set it all in the dollar amount. Then you got to wonder, would a team like the Nationals, would a team like the Mets, would, would, would any of these other teams want to come in and try and swoop them out from underneath you? And at that point, if you're a Yankee fan, if DJ LeMay, who does not return to this team for next year and the coming years, well, the Yankees are in a world of trouble. I'm just trying to think in my mind, like, what what would they do? I, I don't know. I mean, then you'd have to make a run at, at, a, at maybe a Lindor at that point. Because in my mind right now, I got Luke Voigt playing first base. 
I got Glaber Torres sliding back to second base. Do you do a Lindor deal? And you have Urshela at third or Andujar at third? Or maybe even do you, um, do you bring back? Welcome back, everybody, to McCartan After Midnight. It is 4.04 here in New York City. We are together for another two hours. You guys can get aboard. 877-337-6666 is the phone number to call, as you know. You already know that, though. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Later on in the hour, we're going to have John Franco at 4.40. John Franco, the New York Mets John Franco at 4.40 in the morning. So if you wanted to, I don't know, hopefully not, but set your alarm and wake up for 440 that I'm sure is going to be a really good one. And, you know, tonight's shirt, I always talk to you guys about, you know, I, I really like get into what I'm wearing, you know, for the show. And tonight's shirt, it's actually a jersey tonight. And it's a jersey that actually you guys helped me pick out on Twitter. I'm usually not so indecisive, but I was in regards to this. Um, I, I wanted a Kobe Bryant jersey, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be a purple or a yellow one. So, um I posted it to Twitter, and you guys picked yellow, and okay, so I went with the yellow one, and um, I actually respect Kobe Bryant more so after his career, and I know that sounds crazy, um, but I just love the support for and the exposure he gave to the WNBA while he was still here with us, and I, as you guys know, or may or may not know, I did, I've mentioned this before, but I saw Kobe and Gigi at a Las Vegas Aces home opener on Memorial Day weekend in 2019 at the Manly Bay Event Center. So, you know, we decided on the yellow together, and then I, I made the decision, okay, is it going to be 8 or is it going to be 24? And I had, you know, I read a quote, and I and Kobe kind of explained the difference between the numbers, and for number 8 to him meant, and by the way, I went with number 8, number 8 to him represented being a young player in the league with a lot to prove, and I thought that kind of fits my mentality with being here with you and proving myself Every single week. So I went with the eight. Eight yellow. So I'll send you guys a picture. Pat will take one, as he always does. And I'll send that out to you guys in in a little while. But we were just, right before the break and right before the update, we were talking about the potential of where DJ LeMay is going to land. If you're a Yankee fan, he is absolutely integral to what you're trying to do and build and build upon with your team. And if you're a Mets fan, I think it would be, you know, I don't really think there's a need for him with the New York Mets. I think that Jeff McNeil is just fine and will be just fine and probably even better than Robinson Cano was, to be honest, actually. Um, And so I don't think that DJ LeMahieu in Queens makes a lot of sense. And I think the only reason why Mets fans would want him there, if, if they're really looking in the mirror and being, you know, really upfront with themselves, I think the only reason why Mets fans want him in Queens is just to say, this is a new era we have Steve Cohen. We can do whatever we want. But Steve Cohen kind of basically told you in his press conference that he wasn't about to be doing that. He's not playing that game. We shall see. Let's go to the phones. 877-337-6666. Andy in Miami. You're on the fan. Well, Coach, it's great to hear you. You prove yourself every night to me. And the saddest thing over the pandemic, in addition to obviously everything that was happening in people's lives, was not getting to hear you for those months. It's well, great having you back. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate that. Still walking my dogs in Miami. So listen, 
Um, what I want to ask you, Coach, is this. I remember, because I listened to you very closely, mm-hmm. when I was thinking the Mets needed someone like Lindor last year, you did a really good statistical breakdown. I don't remember if you recall doing this, and you explained how Rosario's numbers yes, I do. were actually comparable to Lindor. Yeah. He just wasn't as heralded. And I heard the report in the newscast that they were thinking about using Rosario as a multiple position player. I don't like and- it. I know I heard that too, and I don't like it. I agree with you. I I think uh, Jimenez is an explosive rookie. Somehow Brody managed not to trade him. (laughs) But I think that uh, Rosario, I mean, ironically, I think Cano actually helped Rosario. I used to go to all the Miami Marlins games, and it was really easy to get good seats. You could see that Rosario hung on every word of Cano. Yes. But I do think it's definitely a good thing that you don't have to deal with Cano's $24 million this year, and Jeff McNeil is in the lineup every single day mm-hmm. at second base. I really think that Rosario is an impact player, should be given a chance. I want to know what you think they should do with Jimenez, and do you agree with me that rather than anybody talking about the Mets needing somebody like Lindor just because Steve Cohen can afford it, right. I think the Mets need Bauer. I think the Mets need Charlie Morton. I think the Mets need... Uh, Brad Springer. Hand. Brad Hand would be Brad my number Hand. one. Yeah. And I think Springer for defense yeah. because the Mets defense was god-awful yep. in the outfield. And uh, I'll listen to you, but it's great having you back, Coach. Andy, I appreciate that. And always a thoughtful call, Andy. I'm, I'm glad you picked up the phone again uh, this week. Um, yeah, a uh, lot there. So, yes, I, I, I did hear that, too, uh, on my way in, that the, that the Mets might be experimenting with Rosario in, in different spots. Um, I, I am not a fan of that. I, I think... I think if you're a Met fan, I think you've seen it already, and you've seen it with Dom Smith. We that that left field experiment is it was just awful, you know. So just because you could play shortstop doesn't mean you could play every other position. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm a shortstop. I did not like to play third base. I did it. I did not like it. I didn't feel comfortable there. I played maybe two or three varsity games there because the, she was injured and it was just the way we shuffled around, but I didn't like it. And, and and I can't imagine that an MLB player who's just, I guess, coming into his own, right, coming into his own at, at shortstop and figuring out the position at a major league level, I just don't feel that switching him now is 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 the right move. And and even to let's say just move him to the other side of the diamond, let's just throw that out. I, I just don't think that's possible. Maybe the Mets are thinking of when McNeil's not playing second, they're going to slide him in there to play second base. I mean, I don't know what the thought process is. It's just even even tonight, like right tonight, I am sitting in the chair opposite of where I normally sit, and I have to use my right hand now for the call screener, and I, and I have to. It's just, just just different. I mean, I'm not uh, fielding a major league batted ball. Uh, it's just different. And I don't think that the Mets should go about experimenting with with Rosario in different spots. I think Jimenez is, is an intriguing young player. And, and I don't know where I want to peg him just yet. I would like to see more of him, a bigger sample size of, of what he can do. Uh, and that would be through spring training. I'm not ready to make a, you know, a, a judgment, adjudication on on Andres Jimenez just yet. But to move Rosario around an infield or even an outfield, worse, even an outfield, 
Oh, I think that has disaster written all over it. Because you saw once once the Mets stopped jerking uh, uh, Dom Smith around, what happened? Guy put up tremendous numbers this year or this past season. So Andre Cismenez, I mean, look, I'm just looking here. He's got 118 at bats. I think that's entirely too small of a, uh, a sample size to be to making any sort of, uh, you know, justification on him just yet. Um, but he intrigues me. And I just would like to see more of what he can do. Eric in Ronkakuma. You're on the fan, Eric. Hey, Danielle. Good morning. How are you this week? So, good, good. You know, okay, I, I, yeah, I just heard the same thing on the update about uh, Rosario, which was surprising. And, 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 and you're right, because, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the people are looking forward to this, you know, change in attitude, you know, with the Cohen coming in, because we want people to be fit in the positions that they're playing. I mean, look, you know, every every now and then you're going to get a guy like when when Joe McEwing was on the team, he's a utility player. He could play multiple positions when needed. But you don't want to be doing that all the time. Right. I mean, that's what, you know, that, that's why, like, I didn't like Jeff McNeil out and left. Awesome. I mean, and look what happened that one time he ran into the wall and he really yep. almost seriously hurt himself. Oh, you forget know? about switching Stuff infield like and outfield. Forget about, right. you know, around the infield is one thing, but infield, outfield is just completely different. Yes. Awesome. Exactly. Right. Right. So I, I certainly, you know, look, look, let's get the players who fit the positions on there, you know, as needed, you know, again, George Springer, you know, the proper catcher, things yes. of that nature. I mean, look, you know, sometimes, I mean, even, even when they did the, the Kazmatsui, uh, you know, Reyes, you know, things, you know, flipping back and forth between uh, the second and short. I mean, that didn't go well, no. you know, uh, you know, play them, play them where they're supposed to play. I mean, if they, if they have the ability like Daniel Murphy or, you know, uh, or even McNeil, if he had to go to third or whatever, you know, for a couple, you know, one day a week or every other week, whatever, that's fine. Right. But for the most part, they should be playing where their strength is. Uh, as far as Lemayu, though, now, look, the guy's obviously a great hitter and, and, and a great player and everything. I, I could care less about, you know, sticking it to the Yankees as far as that. And we've already, like you, like you alluded to, you know, Cohen doesn't care about that aspect of it. You know, if it was still the Wilpons running the team, I could see them doing that, you know, because uh, they were always jealous of the Yankees. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't see the need for it. The only real, you know, upside to that is to see, you know, a guy like him and McNeil both in the lineup you know, hitting the ball around to complement the, the the power bats. I mean, that that would be exciting. But you know, aside from that, I, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't see the need. I'd rather have uh, an Arenado. You know, Charlie Morton. I've, I've said a number of times uh, in the past. You know, guy guys like that who yes. you know complement what you need on you know for the team to succeed. You know, let, let's not overload in one position. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know that that that's. Uh, that's what I was thinking on that. But yeah, I mean, keep keep Rosario where he's supposed to be. You know, if you want to, you know, teach him to, you know, maybe be first as a backup, worst case scenario, or you know, well, if, the, yeah, uh, if you the, end up using Alonzo yeah, for the DH, right, you know, things right, like that. Right. You know. So yeah. Speaking of which, have you heard anything on the DH? Nothing. Uh, I, I know it, nothing. Isn't that crazy? That that their money is about to be spent. And they haven't made a decision yet. I mean, I mean, that's crazy. I, that's crazy to me. So no, I have not heard anything. I've not seen anything, and I've been looking. I have. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting ready to enter December. I know. And I know well, now they, they canceled the winter meetings. Am I correct in that? I or? think they're doing them virtual. I don't know if they're doing them in person. Okay. I think it's virtual this year. All right, but but still. And, yeah. and you know, the other thing, too, we, we don't know what's going on, on on as far as the length of next season. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised right. in the least if that's shortened again. Agreed. But then you got the collective bargaining agreement after that season. So, I mean, it's there's a lot of stuff up in the air. I mean, let's, let's come out and... and you know, establish what's going on for next season, so at least you know now, right. and teams can plan properly. So, I anyway, you. you have a good I'm listen. If I don't speak to you, have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, Eric, thank you. I appreciate it, and same to you. Always a great call, Eric. Is always a great call, Eric and Ron Konkuma. Uh Yeah, lots of great points you made there, Eric. I I agree with you. I don't know, I, and I feel that. Rob Manfred, I mean, where are you to make a decision uh, definitively on if there's a DH or not? I mean, teams need to get their finances in order. It's just how it is. And I'll tell you a story on the other side of the break. A, a guy I coached with and, and having kids play out of position and, and in different positions, and it, it didn't go over well. And in, in conclusion, it didn't go over well. So we'll hit that after the break. I'm Danielle McCartan with you. On the fan. 60 plus from down to dusk in the rain. Your flagship station for Yankees baseball and Giants football is the fan. Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Working on the night shift, baby. Dying for your trust. Hey. Nice little shout out to everybody working on the night shift tonight. Or maybe you're just, I don't know, tuning in on your transistor radio on your pillow like my mom or dad usually do. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on The Fan. He is Pat Boyle, DJ Pat Boyle extraordinaire, phone answerer extraordinaire. You know, I I, I saw another tweet. At the, you know, everything that Steve Cohen has been saying, you know, I've been liking. I'm not a Met fan, but everything he's been saying, I would like if I were a Met fan. One thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way, actually. Someone asked him about Bobby Bonilla Day, what to do with it, et cetera, et cetera. Steve Cohen wrote, quote, let's take a vote. How about we have a Bobby Bonilla Day every year, space, period. Hand him, I love saying that because he texts, he, he writes just like my dad does. Hand him an oversized check and drive a lap around the stadium. No spaces, just a period. Could be fun, end quote. Ah, uh, I don't think so. I think Bobby Bonilla could just, Keep his paycheck and keep moving. And I, I don't like that idea. I don't think there's a, a need to sensationalize this awful contract that the Mets uh, did with Bobby Bonilla years ago. I think it's ridiculous, actually. Um, but we were actually just talking about um, DJ LeMahieu and where he's going to sign and where he should sign. I don't know if those are the same things. Where he will sign and where he should sign. I don't know. I don't think those are the same thing. Let's go to Jeff in Scottsdale. Ooh, I love Scottsdale. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, making a patio table. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I'm glad yeah. I'm keeping you company. Yeah, I appreciate it. Great show as always. Thank you. Um, so I I understand that Mets fans love McNeil, and I think he's a great hitter. Um I think he's good in the clubhouse. I just can't understand for the life of me how you wouldn't think that DJ LeMahieu is an instant upgrade. And baseball, the resume matters. And so you're talking about a two-time batting champ, mm-hmm. a three-time gold glove winner, mm-hmm. 
other than pitcher and catcher, he can go to any position, feel totally comfortable. He's super clutch. He's proven he can play in the city. He's durable, and he's in his prime. And McNeil is still a what if with no gold gloves, with no batting title, with a huge upside. But if you're if you're picking uh, you know your kickball beer league softball team, mm-hmm. and you got McNeil, and you got DJ Lemayhew, and you pick McNeil, I why? I mean, I feel like you're going to get burned. I think, uh, and I, I, I don't. I mean, the Mets obviously came into some money here, but I think money is a factor because I think the Mets would like to spend it elsewhere because they have a guy that they feel comfortable with, and and I know. I, I get you. I get the batting titles. I get all that. But also age, too. Jeff McNeil is is 28. He's only 28 years old. DJ LeMayhew is 33. I think you get more use out of a guy like Jeff McNeil, who has basically almost the same fielding career fielding percentage, has the same approach at the plate. I just don't think he's been given the opportunity to succeed. Because but if, Cano if is another blocking. position player, But if another position player... Call it third base, shortstop, first base. Mm-hmm. Injuries happen. Mm-hmm. If one of those players goes out for the Mets, are you going to slide McNeil in to that position and feel comfortable the same way that you would with DJ LeMahieu? No. The answer is no. And you're right about that. I, he's invaluable. And the Yankees, in my opinion, are screwed uh, if they don't re-sign him. And Agreed. they better look at uh, bringing Luis Soho out of retirement, in <laughs> my opinion. Uh, Chuck Knobloch. Maybe Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> Yeah, him and Steve Sachs can uh, throw <laughs> balls at each other. So. <laughs> and they probably wouldn't hit each other either. <laughs> oh, not in a million years. Danielle, I always appreciate you, and uh, great show as always. Thank you. Jeff, I appreciate it. And that was a good point. I mean, Jeff made a good point. You're picking a team, and you're the captain of a team, and are you picking DJ LeMayhew or Jeff McNeil? On a playground, that's an easy pick. But this is not a playground. This has to deal with people's careers, people's livelihoods, millions of dollars. Jeff McNeil made last year. Let me look. It looks like he made $575,000 last year. He's, he's controllable until he's 33 years old, which DJ LeMayhew is 33 years old. And I just don't think I, – I, I, I really believe in Jeff McNeil. I believed in him when he was playing in, in Vegas, and I believe in him now. Jeff McNeil, I think, is the real deal, everybody. He just hasn't been able – to exercise and show that because the dark cloud of Robinson Cano has been clogging up second base for his entire, you know, time in the major leagues. Um, but yes, on a playground, you're picking DJ LeMayhew 100 times out of 100. I get it. For sure, I understand it. Mike in West Palm Beach. Mike, what's up this week? Top of the morning, Danielle. How are you, Mike? I don't have uh, my, my banana nut muffin I had uh, last week in my mouth. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I got a tweet about that. Tell that oh, guy to get the muffin out of his mouth. I know. Yeah, people. tell him that. Yeah, well, well I tell him, uh, well, I wasn't expecting a call when the muffin was, uh, you know, anyway. <laughs> uh, a shout out to Pat, too. All the good producers behind the glass. Yes. Sure. That's the best. You know, I tuned in about an hour ago. I'm sipping a coffee. <clears throat> Danielle, and longtime uh, Met fan, and went to Classic Games, you know, and, and the Jets at Hofstra. And I think the Jets, for all those names, they're going to beat the Chargers today. I still call them San Diego. I, know. I think they'll get their first win today. Oh, um, I know. It'll be coach. close. I know. I know. You know, Danielle, um, 
you mentioned so many good things. McNeil, I have to agree. Wow. You know, uh, Cano, <laughs> uh, what can you say? He fell into the bad habits at 38 years old. Yeah. Okay. What a bust that trade was. Of all the trades, you know, uh, Van Wagenen, he can go back to being a super agent. Diaz was a bust. Um, and, and so many uh, things you mentioned, I was laughing too, was still paying Bobby Bonilla. What a miserable guy he was. <laughs> miserable. Yeah, right. Um, and, uh, you know, Cespedes, we had some good laughs with him. You know, what he did was totally bush. He just left his hotel room. And he's probably, you know, on his plantation in uh, Port St. Lucie riding his uh, prized uh, thoroughbreds. <laughs> and, and he's going to chase that boar around, too. <laughs> I know. Hopefully he doesn't run into that boar again. <laughs> That wild boar. I know it was a serious injury. We learned, but I mean, come on, man. Yeah, come on, man. I mean, come on. You go, go, go into uh, go in a hot tub and and uh, recuperate. Yeah, right. And you know, I could go down a whole list, Daniel. I, I tell my father years ago, rest his soul. He was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, crazy and a Mets fan. You know, all the trades they made. I said to my dad, I said, look at this kid, dad. He's he's going places. Justin Turner, I call him Mountain Man with the red hair with the Dodgers. You know, yes. Mets traded him, and it goes all the way back to Nolan Ryan. You know when they traded him and, and others that have been uh, a bust. And I got to say this: <clears throat> in all the baseball I, I watched, Conforto. Yes, uh, I think he's one of the best to work in O two counts mm. that that I've seen. Um, and I'll get to this point, Danielle. Uh, I can call you coach because you are a coach. Yeah. And you played fast pitch softball in college. You're coaching and you're teaching. And people don't understand, you know, uh, if you never played the game, baseball, the toughest thing to do is hit a round ball with a round bat. Okay? Mm -hmm. And when you play at a high level, decent level, you have six-tenths of one second to make up your mind whether you're going to take it or swing. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be less with fast pitch softball. You're 45, 45 feet uh, uh, from, from home plate to the mound, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, because it's all, you know, um, it, there's, no, there's no better game. You know, I'll always, uh, uh, and I'll leave you with this, with DJ LeMayu, what a player he is, and that would be wild if he takes a subway and he winds up in flushing, you know? Um, <laughs> I know. I, I, don't, I don't see it happening. I really don't. Right, right. Um, well, you know, Danielle, uh, after I hang up, I'm going to finish that half of banana <laughs> nut muffin. And I got to tell you, like I always do, uh, you're going places, by the way. We were talking about the um, couple of weeks ago, the new GM with the Marlins. Yes. You know, you're going places, Danielle. I've heard a lot. And always a pleasure to listen to you. Always a pleasure to speak with you. And you got serious mojo behind the microphone. What can I say? <laughs> Mike, I, I appreciate it. Always, every week. I'll talk to you next week. All right, Danielle. All the best. Talk to you next week. Bye bye. bye. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot there. A lot there. Um, I guess we'll, we'll just talk about his most recent point is uh, DJ LeMayhew taking the subway to Queens. I don't see it. I don't see a fit for it. And I think Jeff McNeil is the real deal. Let's go, to Lenny, also in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale. Lenny. Hey, I agree with Mike, Danielle. You're going places. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you that. Listen to a lot of shows, and you're really an enjoyable listen. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go with the Knicks talk. Yeah, the Knicks. First, um, I love the I love the draft pick. I think it's the best draft pick they've had since I'd say Greg Anthony. It's been that long. Yeah, since but I'd they like yeah, but pick. they didn't get a point guard. And that that's what bugs me. 
Yeah, but they're all so young, and they take so long, these college guys, to mature into a, a good player in the league. It'll take three, four years. Let, let somebody else draft them, establish themselves, and then we can always grab them as a free agent when, when the team starts growing together. Right, yeah. That's what I think, because all these, it's even De'Aaron Fox just signed for a max contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took him a few years to get it together. He's still not quite where he should be. So I think going for a more established guy was a good pick. Um, I think they're on their way to starting to do things right. And I'm looking forward to it because it's been such a long time. I know, it's been a long time. I don't want any part of uh, Carmelo coming back. No, no. Someone brought uh, that up last week. I was like, oh, no, don't even. I'm I'm just, <laughs> you know how I like to like, elaborate on things? I was just like, N-O, no on no, Carmelo Anthony. Ab- Done. Absolutely. You know, and I feel bad for Carmelo because everybody runs away from New York and he really wanted to come here and do a good job. It just didn't work out for the guy. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame. And uh, I was hoping they got that fleet, but uh, the guy lived up to his own character and he stayed where he is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he was my number one, Fred Van Vliet. He he was yeah. my number one, and you know what? You're right. He stayed, and if he wasn't going to stay, if he went somewhere else, I would have been annoyed, but he stayed. <laughs> Why right, would you right, want right. to leave that you situation? Gotta... I would not. Yeah, that, that fits his character, I believe. Yes, I agree with you. And um, that's what the Knicks need. We need to establish some guys with character on our team. And as far as Steve Cohen goes, it seems like he's the perfect guy. And they always say he's... Um, He's he's with that show Billions, Bobby Axelrod was yes, all about. Yes, yes, So I'm just hoping, for the, for the Mets' sake, that there's not a Paul Giamatti out there trying to uh, ruin him. <laughs> I know. That's what I would do with the Mets, and that's usually something bad will happen. I'm always waiting. Fingers crossed. Drop. Fingers crossed, Lenny. <laughs> Appreciate the call. Thank you. Always. Love it. we got to get you on more shows. Let's go. Hope so. Thanks, Lenny. All right. Bye. Bye. And, you know, high-character guys he just mentioned. Obviously, I think the Knicks are on their way. I mean, did you see Obi Toppin? Did you see the reaction when he got drafted? Oh, my God. Loved it. Loved it. I think R.J. Barrett's one of those guys. He's just a quiet guy. I think he's high-character. So we got a live read. Lose the weight and get healthier before the holidays this year. With NJ Diet, it only takes 40 days to lose a contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 pounds plus. Their scientific program starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then NJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen to help keep it off. Don't think you can do it alone? NJ Diet is with you every step of the way, and you'll also get the doctor's personal email and phone number. NJ Diet is all natural, no shots, no hormones, and no surgery. NJ Diet is available worldwide with live online video consultations as well as multiple locations throughout New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Lose a contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days. Visit NJDiet.com or call 855-5-NJ-DIET. That's 855-5-NJ-DIET. Go, go! Go, Johnny, go! Go! Let's welcome in three-time NL Saves leader, a four-time All-Star, and a guy who is fifth on the all-time saves list, most by any lefty and one of the most beloved Mets of all time, John Franco. John, thanks for joining us tonight. Sure. How you doing? How's everything? <laughs> <laughs> everything is great. You are one of the most beloved Mets of all time. So what do you think endeared you so much to the Mets fans still to this day? Well, being born and raised in Brooklyn and growing up a Met fan and uh, just uh, rooting for that team growing up and then 
living out a childhood dream and playing for the team that you rooted for. Uh, you know, I, I wore my heart on my sleeve. I gave it, you know, 150% while I was out there. My passion to try to win and, and try to do my job day in and day out. And, and just love playing in New York and, and for the New York fans. And I know what they're all about. They love their teams and they love a good product and they love a winning team. There were some unfortunate years at Shea Stadium that we didn't do well, but they were very passionate. And, you know, you just grow up around that and you see see how they feel and how they act towards the, the players. Just uh, you try to give back to them as much as you can. I think Mets fans right now will be thinking back to your 1.88 playoff ERA, maybe the 2000 Subway Series, the glory days of the Mets. So, John, looking at this team right now, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think they're close, but what else does it need to win it all? Well, obviously, a lot of consistency. You know, I think the thing that hurt them the last couple of years has been a little inconsistency with some, some of the starting pitching and, and then timely hitting, you know, hitting with guys on base, hitting with guys in scoring position. And also going out there and trying to, especially now, you know, with the, trying to get a, an everyday catcher, an everyday center fielder, you know, you want to be strong up the middle. And also, you know, we need somebody, a couple of guys to step up behind Jake DeGrom. You know, Jake has been the best pitcher in baseball the last two, three years. And uh, the rotation behind him really hasn't stepped up. Noah got hurt. Uh, Stroman only played a half a year. Steven Matz has been inconsistent. And, uh, you know, Lugo just became a starter last year, so... I think the starting rotation needs to, to step up. And, and obviously the bullpen has been a, an Achilles heel for the last couple of years, but it seems like Diaz bounced back nicely last year. So uh, hopefully they can ride on his coattails and, and get a little better out there also. You know, I've been fielding calls for this is going to be the third week now of, you know, the hot stove is fired up. You mentioned all of the positions that we talk about every week on my show. Do you have a preference of a Springer or a Real Muto or a Bauer or a Brad Hand? My vote, it goes to Brad Hand. What do you think? I think all of the above will be helpful. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, you know, yes, you would want another guy in the bullpen and Hand is, is an excellent relief pitcher. But I think you have a pretty good closer out there. And a couple of guys had stepped up last year. If you can get another reliever, you never have enough pitching. That's how I always felt. But you need that everyday catcher to work in sync with that with the, with your staff, and then obviously defense is is important too. And just get Springer out there and, and Riamuto, you know, Riamuto can throw guys out, which the Met catchers had a lot of issues in the past. And Springer should shore up that center field position, and then you, you can move guys who are out of position to their regular position, where Nemo can play left field and Conforto stay in right field. So you want to be strong up the middle. And the thing about defense, I look at it is you don't want to give four or five outs an inning. You want to get three outs, and that's it. You don't want to leave your pitchers out there to give uh, the opposing team extra at-bats. Me, personally, I would try to go for another, probably a catcher in defense. Because I think I think the pitching is there. I just think that they just need to be consistent. Do you have a preference, Real Muto or McCann? I haven't seen McCann that much, but I've I've seen Real Muto. And, uh, you know, when he was with the Marlins and Phillies, he's a damn good catcher. So I would like to see them get him, but I'm sure McCann's is a pretty good player too. It wouldn't be right for me to say, oh, you know, not get him because I haven't seen him. So I, I, I would think that he's a pretty good catcher if he's eased up in the, in the same sentence as Rio Milto, that's for sure. We're talking with John Franco, fifth on the all-time saved list, who pitched in more games than Mariano Rivera here on The Fan. Now, um, John, it's that time of year again where ballots are beginning to be cast for the National Baseball Hall of Fame. You look at what you've accomplished, you know, how you've been rewarded. The Staten Island Sports Hall of Fame, the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame, the New York Mets Hall of Fame in 2012. The success that you had on the mound and the numbers you put up, I think they speak for themselves. Yet 
you missed the 5% threshold to remain on the ballot by just three votes. I know I can't figure it out. I know a lot of people around here can't figure it out. How do you rationalize that? Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out myself too, but uh, it is what it is. Writers at that particular time when they were voting for me, I guess they felt that the state, the safe statistic wasn't that important at the time. You know, the game has changed from the, from the early 90s up until present where the relief pitchers have become more part of the strategy and the game. Um, it is what it is. You know, my numbers are, are just as good as anybody in the Hall of Fame. You know, Mariano's is off the chart, obviously, and Trevor Hoffman, but they're comparable to everybody else in there. The Hall of Fame is supposed to be about numbers and guys who have 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, 300 wins, those all guys. In the, in, the, in the Hall of Fame. The relief pitchers in there, you know, have 400, 600 saves. The ones, the other ones who have been in there for a while have 300 saves, but obviously they pitch in a different era. But I have 424. In my mind, I, I, I did think I deserve to be in there, but it's up to the voters and, and the people who vote for that. Obviously, the writers at that particular time didn't feel. I also believe that Billy Wagner should be in there also. You know, he's, he's right behind me. Billy's statistics are much better than probably everybody in that Hall of Fame as far as that goes. But uh, uh, we'll see what happens. You know, you have the Veterans Committee and, and the New Era Committee and one of the other committees that vote for players who fell off the ballot. I'm hoping that they see that and I'll be voted in. All is not lost. And for the listeners, um, you are part of, it's called the Today's Game Electorator. And the way the voting <laughs> rotation happens, it's the next vote for your bracket's going to be December 2022 for the class of 2023. And for this vote, I looked, you meet all the requirements. I mean, you just talked about saves. Is that the only thing you would hope that they take into consideration this time around? Longevity. I mean, I have a, you know, a number of games I pitched in and games I finished. I mean, I think it was 1,100 games, over 1,100 games that I played in and pitched in, and uh, that's the most. My ERA has been really good, so my ERA has been under two. So, you know, these are things that they consider, and, and we'll just have to see uh, who is on that committee. The thing I like about that is that, that there are players that are voting for that, too. You know, that's how the Hall of Fame probably should be, is well, players voting for players to get in. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the vote goes my way next time. You know, John, beyond numbers, and I was really thinking about this this morning, I think we're at a, a critical intersection here in the Hall of Fame voting, and you referenced longevity, 21 seasons, but your career spanned that that steroid era of baseball, yeah. and you still were able to achieve so much. So my question is, is it fair to you that you're evaluated against other pitchers who may not have pitched in that era or against hitters that were confirmed users? Yeah, it's, it's not fair, but you could talk about the steroid issue, the era. You could talk about the juice baseball. There's a number of things that you could bring up, you know, guys caulking bats. <laughs> but it was the time that I was in the major leagues from the 80s, the 90s, and the, and the 2000s thousands where these things had occurred it was an unplaying even uh, playing surface where guys have cheated and you know i was clean along with a lot of other players it's unfair but you know the guys before me who played and they have 300 and something saves are in the hall of fame and you know like you said that the errors of the steroids and the juice ball and so on and so forth and i did pretty damn good in those errors so maybe they'll take that into consideration <laughs> i hope so that's what i'm trying to push here do you do you think those guys should get in those you know i don't want to name any names but. i think pete rose should get in number one that's what pete rose did as a player that warrants him for a hall of fame not as not what he did as a manager pete was my manager in cincinnati and he was great. He was a great guy to play for. He was baseball. I mean, you could to sit down and talk baseball with you all day. So I think Pete deserves to be brought in. As far as what he did as a manager and, and uh, broke the rules, I think he served his time already. It would be nice to see Pete get in. And then, you know, referring to the guys who did the steroids, uh, 
who are on a ballot who I think eventually will get in and maybe just put a little asterisk next to their name that uh, they were accused of steroid use. But, you know, those guys who are on the ballot and those guys who are going to get in, they were damn good players without the use of steroids. So I'm just, I still don't understand why they would want to do it. But on the other hand, you see why they wanted to do it. So you scratch your head. I, I, I think they deserve to get in, put a little asterisk next to their name so everybody knows. I agree with you. I'm with you on that. So we're talking about John Franco, who was inducted to the New York Mets uh-huh. game in 2012 here on The Fan. John, Mets fans have swiftly ushered in the Steve Cohen era with uh, tweets of, I'm going to do it. It's a no-brainer. He's bringing back Old Timers Day. And I just wanted to get this on the record. I'm sure I already know the answer here. Would you accept an invitation to play in the big game? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, growing up as a Mets fan, you, you looked forward for the Old Timers Day. Banner Day, Bat Day. Those are great days. I remember going to the ballpark with my dad and brother, seeing your favorite players, you know, obviously when they retire for old timers, they get back. And and just bring the history of the organization back. You know, the Met organization has great history, and I think that is something that has been missing for a number of years. Bringing back the older players who played in the uh, 70s and 60s and 80s and 90s. And just the camaraderie and, and to see the players and to show the fans that, hey, this here, here's our history, here's our players. You know, I think it's a great, great idea that he's going to do that. So give me the short list. Which three players are you taking with you in that game? Oh, taking with me? What do you mean on my team? Yeah. <laughs> the ones who are the ones who are in the best shape, that's for sure. Because <laughs> you know, when you get into those old uh, Hall of Fame, uh, the old timers game, you look at some of the guys and say, "Oh my God, what happened to you?" And one guy, you know, he, he probably was probably in the best shape of his life when he played, but now they're so out of shape. But it doesn't matter, you know. It's all for fun. I'm sure there's some guys who are in great shape and some guys who are probably still hitting, still pitching, still throwing. And then there are guys who haven't done nothing since they retired. I look forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun, not only for the the older players and the organization, but the fans. What else would you like to be accomplished by the new owner? Well, just what he's doing. You know, he's he's treating everybody with respect. He, he's out there telling the fans what they what they want to hear. Uh, he's already did a number of things, donated $17.8 million to the small businesses in New York City. Uh, he made deals with the unions at the, at the stadium to get the, to the workers, to pay the workers up until uh, April of next year, until the season starts. So he put back everybody's salary back to where they should be. These things mean a lot to the people who work behind the scenes, the back office people, and the people who, the ushers who every day, you know, when you go to the ballpark, you know, there's been ushers who've been there for 20, 30 years, concession workers, and even the small businesses. Uh, he gets it. He gets it. He, you know, Cone, Steve Cohn has been a Met fan just like I was. You know, he grew up a Met fan. He used to go to the stadium and watch the games. He's living out his dream. You know, I lived out my dream as a player. He's living out his dream on the team. So I think he's on the right track. He's said all the right things that everyone wants to hear. You know, when I heard his press conference and saw his press conference, it made you want to get up and, and, and run through that door and, and say, hey, man, I want to play for this guy. And when you see all the tweets from the current players, they're right on. And they're, they're happy that there's new ownership. I think the former players are happy that there's new ownership. And there's a new chapter, a new era in, in the New York Met organization. I think the one thing that he's going to do is bring back a lot of history of the organization. Uh, I'm hoping that he does bring a lot of history back to the organization. A lot of things around the stadium to, to show the history of the Met organization. The you know, number one thing, obviously, is the Tom Seaver statue. I also think there should be a Gil Hodges statue, too. Maybe these things down the road, he'll, he'll take care of. And I think one of the most important things he did was bring Sandy Alderson back. Sandy's a great baseball man. He's been involved in every aspect of the game. He's been here. He's familiar with the organization. He's got the right guy 
and, and Sandy uh, running things. Speaking of eras of, of Mets history, when I think of you, I, I picture you wearing the C on your chest of that black jersey. And to me, those black jerseys represent like a poignant era in Mets baseball and in our city's fabric. I know Pete Alonso has been pushing for them, and I am too. Would you like to see them back? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they could, you know, have something maybe where they can wear the jerseys uh, once a week on Sundays. It would be nice to bring it back, but those are the decisions that the ownership and upper management will have to make. I think if enough current players would like to see it, maybe, maybe it'll get it done. And I think, uh, you know, like you said, fans enjoyed the guys wearing those black jerseys. You know, if enough guys push for it, maybe they'll get it. Hernandez, Carter, Wright, Franco. I think when Alonzo organized and facilitated the 9-11 cleats for the team, I'm not saying he should be captain at all, but I'm asking as a captain yourself, one of four in Mets histories, do you see other captain characteristics in Peter Alonzo? Oh, yeah. You know, Pete stepped in right away uh, in a leadership role, you know, in his rookie season. He had a great rookie season. Obviously, he struggled a little bit last year. But uh, his leadership, his positive uh, attitude, day in and day out, even though he was struggling last year, he was very positive. Uh, and you can see that you can see that he has the, all that makeup of a, of, a, of a captain. And I can see a Michael Conforto the same way. Michael Conforto is not as verbal, not as loud, but he he leads by example. And so you, you have two guys who are very capable of being captain, maybe one day down the road. I'm so sad that our annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation Gala is virtual this year. It's always a fun time. What surprises do Joe and Carmine have for everyone this year? Well, you know, obviously we're doing it virtual, but, uh, you know, Arnold and Lee Mazzilli and uh, J.P. uh, Ricciotti, Anthony Yapoche, the hitting coach for the Chicago Cubs. So we're honoring those guys, but uh, I'm I'm sure Joe and Carmen have a little something up their sleeves where guys are going to be introduced by special players and special former honorees or special Italian American former players or active players or maybe managers or who knows. I don't, you know, they're keeping very things, very things, things very secret, Carmen and Joe. So I'm (laughs) sure they have something up their sleeves, but whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, They do a great job, Joe and Carmine with this organization. It's grown so much. And it's a shame that we, we couldn't do a lot this summer and, and, you know, in clinics, things like that for the kids here in, in the city. And Carmine did a great job in donating a lot of food to the, uh, the essential workers and going to firehouses and police stations and hospitals and stuff like that. So Carmine's did a great job uh, doing all of that, organizing that with Joe. So I tip my hat to those guys. They continue to move forward day in and day out to make this organization one of the top organizations. And we continue to honor Italian-Americans who played the game of baseball, who worked in the front office of baseball, who are announcers, who are broadcasters, uh, who are radio commentators, people who work on the radio like yourself. So they do a great job and they continue to do a job day in and day out to try to better this organization and try to help players in Italy. You know, when we did clinics there the last couple of years, we went to Italy. If we can bring a couple of uh, Italians uh, from Italy over to play maybe college baseball, possibly in the pros, we've done our job trying to get baseball expanded in Italy. Obviously, soccer is the number one sport there, but baseball is coming along over there and they love their baseball. They, they were like sponges when we were over there. They're, they're taking up everything. So it was a lot of fun going over there and they continue to do a great job. And they're in good hands, obviously, with the the summer clinics that you put on. You coach the kids. And has that ignited a desire to coach maybe, let's say, this Mets team? 
Oh, absolutely. I always leave the door open. You never, never say no to nothing. If the right uh, situation comes along, obviously, I would love to do it. That's for sure. John, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Daniel, thank you. Continue success. Be careful about parking around that area. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm going to park in your driveway. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right, I'll talk to you soon. If you're interested in checking out the Italian American Baseball Foundation's annual event, which is virtual this year, you can do so from the comfort of your own home. Join John and I on December 3rd at 8 p.m. at Facebook.com. This is a live stream, Facebook.com slash Italian American Baseball Foundation. And the IABF is a 501c3 charitable organization. So you want to consider making a donation. The website is IABF.foundation. And it's such a shame that a guy like John Franco, with all of the numbers he put up throughout the steroid era, got left off that ballot by three votes. And he needed 5%. He missed it by three votes. So um, hopefully the era committee can uh, pick it up for him and hopefully he, he can uh, get into the Hall of Fame with an era committee vote. Um, I'm really hoping for him. And a question that I asked, probably I think my favorite question of the whole entire interview was asking him who would he want on his team for uh, Mets old timers day. He was pretty, at one, you know, in one breath he said it was just for fun. And in the other breath he said he wants the guys in the best shape. So I guess I'm going to pose the same question to you, Mets fans in the audience. Who would you want to see play in a Mets old timers game? And, and I kind of have two tiers of players. Um, I mean, I'm I'm 32 years old, so I've seen my, my my old timers are like Mike Piazza. He's like an old timer to me. So I would I would go Franco Piazza and Wright. I think David Wright might be a little too soon, but it would be nice to bring him back. Obviously, right for everybody to see him. Maybe he can coach or something. I don't know. And then you got uh, uh the next tier. I would say is is Gooden Hernandez and Mookie Wilson. I would those have to be must be must haves. Those six guys, Franco, Piazza, Wright, Gooden, Hernandez, and Mookie Wilson for me. Anyway. And, guys, it's week 11. We've talked so much baseball tonight. It's week 11. Good morning, everybody. If you're just waking up at 5 a.m. on this Sunday morning, wake up. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on The Fan there's Pat Boyle on the other side of the glass taking your phone calls, playing the music, playing the spots. We've got a good team chemistry going here, you guys. Um, we are going to reset it. We're going to talk um, a lot. We had a lot of Met, uh, Mets and Yankees stuff tonight. Um, I know the Giants are on a bye week, but we did mention the fact that the New York Giants, although they are on a bye week, have had some drama. We are talking about some drama possibly surrounding DJ LeMahieu and which part of New York he's going to be playing in next year, if any. And of course, guys, we have a Jets. <laughs> we have a Jets game today. Later today, uh, the Jets are taking on the Chargers in LA. So lots to get to. Um, one thing I we did not mention just yet about this Joe Judge and Mark Colombo thing. And if you're just tuning in, um, apparently there was a, a reported that there was a brawl or punches thrown by some Twitter account, I don't even know who it was, uh, between Mark Colombo and Joe Judge. And in fact, that was repudiated emphatically by um, many, if not all, of the Giants beat reporters from every single outlet. Um, So I trust friend of the show, Art Stapleton, and what he tweeted. So I wanted to bring to you guys what he tweeted. He said, there was indeed an issue between 
Judge, and Colombo on the practice field, centering on the coaching of Nick Gates. Of course, Art Stapleton gets to the bottom of it. Joe, uh, Joe Judge wanted Gates to use a new technique, and the old technique was still showing up. Okay, clearly, right? That ha- that's what happens when you coach kids and coach players, right? Judge worked with Gates to correct it, and Colombo didn't appreciate it, which makes me read between the lines and say Colombo didn't correct it to be what Judge wanted it to be. I, that's me, though. And Art, St- Art Stapleson then says Judge wanted a full rotation at guard and tackle last week and talked all through prep about it. And when it didn't materialize to that extent on game day, as Judge would have liked, he was not pleased. So we're looking at a case of insubordination, in my opinion, where the head coach wants a job done the right way. And in his opinion, the right way, which I trust Joe Judge said it, that it was, in fact, the right way. He's got an assistant coach below him that um, didn't either embrace the technique or, or, or didn't didn't feel the, the need to do it, especially after having talked through it on uh, on pregame prep and everything. So I think in that sense, and these are more details, obviously, I think in that sense that Joe Judge is absolutely correct in, in one, talking with Mark Colombo about it. All, apparently it blew up. I don't know who was at fault, who escalated the situation. You know, no one was there. No one's really going to ever really know that. But if your coach is doing something that that you didn't want them to do and you got involved and you saw it firsthand, you bring in a consultant that you worked with that the guy also has a relationship with as a player-coach relationship. So to Dave DiGuglielmo, who was the consultant that was brought in, was Mark Colombo's coach in Indianapolis. And Colombo said, I learned more from you than in any other any of my other 11 seasons in the league. So obviously there was a relationship. I think Joe Judge thought he was doing a good thing. I think Mark Colombo took that as, oh my God, someone's encroaching upon my job. It over it simmered over the course of a couple weeks, it sounds like, and then it just blew up. But no, there were no punches thrown. Um, and Joe Judge ended up firing him on the spot. So there's that. Joe Judge is the man in charge if that didn't solidify it for you after that Golden Tate drama too. Then, gotten a lot of phone calls on DJ LeMahieu. I don't know what the Yankees are waiting for because a new team wants to take DJ LeMahieu to the dance, and it's the Washington Nationals courting him. And, you know, apparently DJ only has eyes for the Yankees, but, you know, it's November 22nd now, and why haven't we heard anything about what's going on with them? We know he turned down the $18.9 million qualifying offer, but really there's nothing else beyond that. Jack Curry saying that uh, DJ's agent believes his client is worth the five-year, probably greater than $100 million category. Of course, an agent's going to say that. The agent is also tied to how much money DJ LeMahieu ends up making. Apparently, uh, the Yankees play-by-play TV voice Michael Kay is reporting that the Yankees are willing to go three to four years with him, and reports are that he's he wants a five-year deal. So my question to Yankees fans is, is that fifth year a deal breaker? Because DJ LeMay, he was 32 years old right now, and midseason he's going to turn 33. So you want to lock him up through 38 years old? Is he going to be the same player at 38 as he is at 33 based on his style of play? Second base is a very rangy position. A 38-year-old playing second base, I'm not so sure. However, he does know different positions and, and would be able to fill in, in in many different positions, So, which makes him 
Um, as Brian Cashman called and used in his end-of-the-year conference, press conference, he used the word a Swiss Army knife type of player. That's a description that fits DJ LeMayhew to a T. I think eventually, I think DJ LeMayhew has all of the leverage in this situation, and I think that he will end up getting a five-year deal from the Yankees, actually. And I think he's going to accept it. And I think um, this whole talk of, of the Mets swooping in and stealing him, listen, I'm not saying it's not possible. It is possible. The Mets have the richest owner in all of baseball and the second richest owner in all of sports. We talk about it every week. But is there a need? Is there is there a pressing need for DJ LeMahieu on the Mets? No, there's not. I'll answer that for you. No, there's not. The Yankees, if they if they didn't come out with DJ LeMahieu, if they didn't come back with DJ LeMahieu after this free agency period, I mean the Yankees would be in dire in a dire position. They need DJ LeMahieu. They need his approach at the plate. They need his glove in the field. The Mets, not so much. Yeah, he's a three-time gold glove winner, all at second base. Yeah, he sprays the ball around the field, but you know who else does that too? Who just doesn't have the chance to earn those gold gloves just yet? Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil is going to finally get to play in his regular position, his learned position, which is second base, because Robinson Cano went bye-bye because he decided he was going to take some steroids for the second time in his career and get caught. Probably more than second time in his career, just the second time he's gotten caught. And 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 then we talked with Amy Dash, the, the WFAN legal consultant here, and she said, legal analyst, and she said that and we warned Mets fans together that yes, while his twenty-four million dollars is off the books for this season, for the next one hundred and sixty-two games, how however many seasons that takes to complete that because of COVID and everything like that, he's still on the books beyond that. So not so fast, Mets fans, right? I don't think. And you got a guy like Jeff McNeil who, who made $575,000 last year, and he's got, what is it, three or four more years of arbitration left in his deal. He's got a fielding percentage that's two hundredths of a point below DJ LeMayhew's at second base. I think, those, I, I think I looked up career numbers for that. Two hundredths of a point behind a three-time gold glove winner. Let me say that again. Jeff McNeil had the third-highest batting average on the Mets team. He has the same approach as DJ LeMahieu. Spray the ball all over the field. He was beat out by four hundredths of a point by Dom Smith for the second-highest batting average on the team. Maybe you might not have noticed that or known that. And then again, he get, the guy gets on base, third-highest batting average on the team. I think what I'm trying to say very long-windedly is that Jeff McNeil is going to have a breakout monster season next season. He was stressing a little bit at the end. Wasn't, you know, maybe producing as much as he would have liked to have at the plate. We all saw that. But that's a mental thing. It's not a physical thing. It's, it's, it's a mental thing that he can get over, that pro athletes get over. So whereas the Yankees would be desperate if DJ LeMay, who didn't sign with them, I think the Mets would be, okay, well, Jeff McNeil. And with that money, the Mets can put it in different positions where they would um, – I mean, they need a catcher. The Mets need a catcher. That is a need. Do you go Real Muto or do you go James McCann? To me, it depends on what kind of money you'd want to spend elsewhere. Do the Mets feel good with their starting rotation that they won't pursue Trevor Bauer? Well, then you go and get Real Muto. 
if you want to go and get Trevor Bauer, you know, and another player, then you go McCann. So my suggestions, as they always are in this order, would be uh, Real Muto. If you can't, I would go Brad Hand. Then I would go Bauer, and then I would go Springer in that order. But obviously one domino affects the way the other ones fall, and the same with the Yankees. The Yankees haven't made anything. We heard little murmurings that that Gary Sanchez could be on the trade block last week. Nothing really has materialized. Have not heard anything in terms of DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees, which if I'm a Yankees fan, uh, that would worry me. I think that the longer this goes on, the more teams get involved, the more dollars that are put onto the table. I think that would worry me. Yeah, sure, he wants to come back and play for the Yankees. Yeah, sure, he wants to stay in New York. But money talks. And I don't think the Yankees are as set up to win the World Series in this upcoming season as people are making them out to be. And I'm just being realistic. I think the Yankees need starting pitching. Beyond Garrett Cole, who is beyond him? Tanaka's gone in free agency. He might be back. I actually think he would be. He will be back. But who's the number two? Who is the Yankees' number two starter? And the correct answer is they don't. They don't have one. So there's that. And of course, the New York Jets are traveling to Los Angeles today to take on the Chargers at 4:05 p.m. on CVS. They are again underdogs. This time, nine and a half points. So we will get to your calls, Pat and I, 877-337-6666. Hang in there. I'll get to you right after this short break. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Welcome back, everybody. McCartan after midnight. Wake up, get up, dance around a little bit, and get aboard. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Say it ain't so, Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano gone for 162 games. However many seasons that's going to be, we don't know at this point in time. Because as we all know, there has been, as the last I checked, no approval of any sort of vaccine for COVID. Not yet. Soon, but not yet. So Robbie Cano gone for 162 games. Off the books are his $124 million salary. So, um, and by the way, we also talked about Sam Darnold and his he the guy moving forward. Do you want him to be the guy moving forward? Um, okay, let's go to the phones. Uh, James in Monroe, New York. You're up, James. Thanks for holding. Yes, good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Okay, uh, you and I spoke last week. Yep. And you and I, one of the few that were jumping on the Giants game and both saying that the Giants would win. Yes, they did. And we were both, and we were both correct. I'm giving you a um, long-distance high five there, James. Thank you. <laughs> That's a real long distance. I'm going to... <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I had to talk to you. You were talking to John Franco. Yes. Okay, and I wanted to discuss something with you as far as the Mets go. Mm-hmm. been a lifetime Met fan. Um, I, I'm always on the fan with different people, and uh, I speak to most of them. They all know me very well. But uh, I wanted to talk about the, the the best way, I think, for the Mets to go is by going McCann, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ray Amuro's a good guy. He's, you know, he's a proven defensive catcher. He can hit. But I, I also see something that's starting to happen where he's starting to break down a little bit. And um, also, I think by not putting all the money that you would have to pay him, you could use your resources for a guy like you said, 
Bauer and, you know, Springer in center field. You have to be, there's two things that the Mets have to be. Number one is strong up the middle, which they have religiously not been over the, the years that I've been watching them. I mean, the, the best center fielder they had in long time was Beltran, and that's going back. Yeah. Okay? Yep. Most of the time, they put these filling guys, like, not for nothing against, you know, uh, Conforto or any of the other guys, but they're not center fielders, and they're right. not true center fielders, Correct. and they don't play defense like that. Yep. Okay? You need a guy, like Springer is really excellent defensive. He also is a good hitter. That's another thing that the Mets, they have a lot of great hitting, but the one thing they don't have is timely hitting. And you know what? You need a timely hitter. That's why even a guy like LeMayu, believe it or not, is a great guy on, that you might want to consider for third base on their team. Because that guy can hit yeah. out of walking out of the bedroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's what you need. You need to be a winner. That's how you get a, to be a winner, by having somebody who keeps the ball rolling, keeps the, you know, the Mets are religiously known for filling the bases and never driving in guys. Yeah. Well, the Yankees, you know, too, in the playoffs, <laughs> as of <yeah>. recent. <laughs> well, Yankees depend a lot more on the, the, the big home runs and stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm talking about, like, last year, Dominic Smith had such a great year for the Mets last year. He did. He had a phenomenal year. So did, so did McNeil. But the, the point being is that you have guys like Conforto, okay? He hits well, but in, in clutch situations, he's the zero. Oh, and you I know what? It. Wait, James. Me, my dad and I were watching the Met game one day, and he was we, we had this argument. We, we had this argument, and he was like, watch. Runner in scoring position, he's not going to get it done. I said, Dad, he's going to get it done. Guess who was right? Me. He had a base hit. So uh, maybe that just it's a small oh, sample size. You were right. You were right once out of 75. <laughs> <laughs> I looked over at the at, from the couch to the chair, and I looked at him, and I just nodded, and he was like, all right. <laughs> but he'll remember that because he's going to say to you next time, see, I told you so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know he will. I know. My well, dad's you know a big Met fan. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yes. You know, and bringing in Bowers is a, a no-brainer. I mean, you put him behind the Grom, and you got two, one-two punch that nobody in baseball will have. I'm telling you. Yeah. Nobody. I just think, I just think that that a good one-two punch would be. I mean, I know we have to get there eventually, you know, but it would be Degrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, and then because the Mets have had so many problems with the back end of their bullpen, I think Hand would be that guy. Make Edwin Diaz the eighth inning setup guy. Yeah, he's a good reliever that you can bring in at not a large price. You may pay ten million dollars for him. Yeah, you could bring a guy like that in. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yep. But you know, Syndergaard, you can't depend on Syndergaard right now. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's. He's rehabbing. He looks okay. But you don't know what it's going to transform when you put him on the field. Correct. You just don't know. Right. And he, he psyched. You know, he likes the new owner. He's going to say, well, I'm going to give 100%. Well, you should have gave 100% all the time if you felt that way. But, <laughs> yeah, well. you know, my point being is that I think the Mets will go in a good direction. They're going to build a farm clean, uh, club. You know, they're going to do all the right things. Right. And I love this owner. This owner is, like, from the heart. And I, I also think they should bring back Bat Day. You know that? Bat the Day. Kid. There's another suggestion. I love, I have a bat, and, and thanks for the call, James. I appreciate it. And uh, I, John Franco brought, brought it up in the conversation. Bat Day. I have a bat. We went to Bat Day in 1997, I want to say, at Yankee Stadium. I still have that bat. It's a wooden bat that I still have. And my brother, too. Now, though, I think think nowadays giving out bats, they might have to give them out on, like, the way out, possibly, 
not on the way in. I mean, I was a kid. I don't know how they did it in 1997. But, uh, yeah, Bat Day would be amazing. I, I love Bat Day. Actually, all right, maybe I'll admit it. I, they, the Yankees had Bat Day not long ago. Maybe, um, I want to say about like six years or so ago. They had Brett Garner Bat Day, the Black Bat. I had a group there. I had a Yankees group of like 40, 45 people there. And I wanted a bat so bad. And I walked up to the lady and I said, listen, I have a group of 45 people here, which I did. 45, 40, whatever it was. I said, you think it's for kids under like 13? And I know I'm going to get some hate tweets for this, but I asked her for a bat. She gave me one. <gasps> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. And I'm sure people are going to hate on me. They're for the kids. They're for the kids. I think uh, one of the suggestions I saw to Steve Cohen was um, for like things like bobblehead day. Have enough for everybody so people don't have to wait online for, like, these ridiculous amounts of hours. I remember I was at Yankee Stadium once. My cousin gave me his tickets, and he's like, Danielle, uh, I need you just to get the all I need from you. Take the tickets for free. Get me a bobblehead. Well, it happened to be the day that the bobblehead shipment was delayed, and they, there were more people in the state in Yankee Stadium online for these bobbleheads through, like, the the entire, like, you know, the ramps going up and down the, the, the sections than there were sitting in their seats. I said, I'm not I'm not waiting on this line. I sent them pictures of it. it. made the news and everything. So, yeah, that would be another suggestion I would do. Make sure you have enough giveaways for everybody. I think that's simple, unless it's geared towards, you know, it's really kids. But come on. Sparky, Dobbs Ferry. Sparky, what's up this week? Oh, not much. First of all, I want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Now, as far as Robinson Cano, the Mets should be forced to pay his salary as a penalty for stupidity. Oh, wow, that's because, one school of thought. No, you know what? Because think about it. when they traded for him, he was already he had just finished his first drug suspension. Yes. Okay. And you know when that happened, when he first got caught. Um, there were rumors about people wanting to trade for him and everything. And I called a fan like a month before he got caught. And I'm like, anybody that would take this guy on is crazy. Yeah. Because all you have to do is look at him. <laughs> when he first came up with the Yankees, he was really thin. And now he has arms like an outside linebacker. I know. I know. And his neck and his... I, yeah, I know. I know. I get it. I mean, coach. Nobody's body changes like that, even if they have more spinach than Popeye. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I know, I know. But then you could also look at it, too, and, and the other point of view, just to give you another point of view, would be, okay, yes, the Mets were silly to trade for him after he was caught, but since he was caught, since he was suspended, at such a late age, a late stage in his career, you'd think he would have learned his lesson. That's just another school of thought. You would think so, right? You would. I mean, I, I know um, I would. But again, now, I wouldn't be doing it to begin with. Oh, you kidding? My parents, God rest their souls, they would. If I ever did something like that, my parents forget about it. I'd have to look for a new country to live in. <laughs> but um, now back to Lemayu. God forbid. I mean, but let's say the Yanks end up blowing it. I wish they would bring back Didi. Yes. Because you know what? In many ways, I feel like the Yankees owe that guy a lot. Because he took so much pressure off of the organization when he came in. Because, I mean, think about it. He's replacing a guy in Jeter who yep. only had 3,400 hits. Yep. <laughs> you know? First ballot, Hall of Famer, the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's amazing. Yep. And now, the last thing about um, the coach from the Giants, Colombo. Mm -hmm. 
not for nothing. I think Columbus is 100% at fault because all he had to do is say, uh, Coach Judge, can we please talk in private? Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, Danielle, in all my coaching, all my work life, I'm still working, thank God. Um, I never saw a situation where if an employee asked the boss to talk in private, the boss would say no. Right. Me neither. Not in my experience either. You know. I know. But, he, it was handled the entire wrong way. And it blew up. And did you did Mark Colombo? What did he think he was going to get out of it by yelling at a head coach, enticing a fight with the head coach? Did he think he was going to get to keep his job? I mean, really? I mean, and and when they brought and a caller before it brought up about um about gays and that guy Greg Williams. First of all, if the Jets handled that right, gays should have been. Gay, gay should have been fired immediately for not allow, for not doing anything about it, and Greg Williams should have been fired for saying this stuff in the first place. Oh, then who's the coach in the team? Me? Can I coach the team? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I just want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and have a great day, my friend. Thanks, Sparky. I'll talk to you bye. next week. Thanks. All right, bye. Who's co- I fire them all. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. Fire them all. But then who's who's coaching the team? I get it. And I, I believe me, I, I just tweeted this before to somebody or messaging on Facebook. If you want to friend me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Um, but um, I thought that Greg Williams would be the natural slide-in fit if and when the Jets would part with Adam Gaze, Adam Guru. And midway through the season, I thought Greg Williams would be a natural fit as head coach. I actually would have liked to have seen him as head coach in the interim, maybe for even the long term. However, what he pulled and what his defense pulled in that Broncos game, and again, it was the game where the Broncos really went after Sam Darnold, and he's still hurt from it. But then in turn, the Jets' defense really, really went in for the kill against the Broncos quarterback at the time. And, you know what? That's there's just no place for that. There's just no place. It was the end of the game. It, it, like they were like basically running out the clock, and the defense teed off on the quarterback. Not once, twice. It might have been three times. Definitely twice. It's just that's not that's not how I coach my teams, and and that's not how any team should be coached. That's it. That's the bottom line. So yeah, fire them both. Sure. There's just no no replacement, unfortunately, and the Jets are in just a real real tough spot with that. I think. Um, so. They're tanking for Trevor. That's clear in keeping Adam Guru, Adam Gase. Um, and that's the caller before brought up, like, that's the best gift that the Jets, in defense of Adam Gase, that's the best gift he can give the Jets is an 0-16 season. And hopefully packing his bags and out the door. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Danielle McCartan, that's me. Pat Boyle, that's him. And we are on the fan with you until 6 a.m. when Bob Salter comes your way. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. It's Moose and Maggie right here on the fan reacting to Jets and Chargers in L.A. Flacco at quarterback. Yeah, the one game that everyone had circled on the Week 11 slate, plus NBA free agency in full swing. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 1019 FM and Radio.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. This is the Pat Boyle special, 5:37 in the morning. That means it might be your last chance to get aboard and talk tonight on the fan. 
to me and to us, to the audience. Sunday morning, week 11 football. Really haven't talked much Jets. I know maybe you, don't, maybe you just don't care about the Jets, um, but I do have a prediction to get to, and I will tell you uh, who I think is going to win that game and uh, who's going to have a big game, who's not. Get to that in a second, but I want to make sure I get to all of your calls. 877-337-6666 is the number. Let's go to Richard in Manhattan. Hi, Danielle. Danielle, to everybody out there, 62 years and older, they know where they were 57 years ago today, and I'll tell you where I was. Of course, you know what happened 57 years ago today. President Kennedy was shot. Mm -hmm. And I was in third grade, PS 166 on 35th Avenue and 36th Street in Astoria. The school is still there. One blo- two blocks away from Kaufman Studios, where the old WFAN studios were, mm-hmm. right over there. Two blocks away, it happened at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, New York time. The teacher rolled in the TV- television mm-hmm. for the only time in my 13 years in public school in New York City, from kindergarten to 12th grade. There was never a TV in the school, in the public school, never. They rolled in the teeth, the teacher rolled in, Mrs. Bailiff, third grade teacher rolled in the television, and they showed what happened, and uh, we got to go home early, we walked home, left school at 2 o'clock, school usually ended at 3 o'clock, and we walked home from school, and, uh, and then of course that Sunday was even more surreal, I remember on Sunday I was up in Washington Heights getting ready to go to church, I was at my grandmother's house, watching Channel 2 at 10 in the morning, Walter Cronkite, and on live television, Jack Ruby comes right in. They were bringing in uh, Oswald for booking and Mm -hmm. handcuffs, and Jack Ruby jumps the line right on live television and shoots Oswald. So to everybody out there, 62 years old, I would guess, you know, five years old at the time, people would remember where they were today 57 years ago. And like I said, I was two blocks away from the old WFAN studios, the Kaufman Studios uh, in Astoria. Nice talking to you, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Oh, I thought he was going to have a sports point after that. That's a good story. I mean, it's a little, well, I mean, we're young. Pat, we, me, you, we're young. It's a little bit of a history lesson there. So, yes, um, I guess we should say rest in peace to JFK, right? Wayne in Brantford, Connecticut. You're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I love the Lionel Bumper music. Great song. <laughs> yeah, that's, anyway, I'm that's a big Guardian fan. Yeah, go ahead. And um, every year for the like, past five years, I pray that they bring him back. As a fourth, that's all. I want to know he's there every year, and thank God they have. Well, so now this year, yeah. I'm wondering, they didn't pick up the option, yeah. but are they going to make him an offer and what will they offer? Well, if they go as low as four, do you think he will take it? I just don't know what his market is. I don't know if there's anybody else interested in him. You no, know what I'm he saying? doesn't have. I don't think he has a market. Exactly. So in that sense, I think he would have to take it if he still wants to play. I think he wants to be a Yankee. I don't know him that well, but I think that's where he wants to play. Right. Well, four. I mean, I'm just looking at what he made in 2020. He made about what does it look like? Four. They gave him. They gave him um, twelve last year, and that was because there was not going to be Hicks for like a half a season. Right. I remember that. Yeah. And he hit 20 the year before. 
when you think of, I'm just trying to think. When you think of, I'm trying to picture the outfield. You think Judge and Wright, Hicks and Center, Frazier, yep. Talkman, Mike Talkman. Yep, Talkman. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he is he your fourth? I think he's your fourth. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's room for Brett Gardner. Well, you got to have somebody on the bench. Yeah, but it would be it, that bench player I would, would think be Talkman. It would be Judge and Wright. Uh, Hicks in center, center. Frazier in and left. And I think Frazier has come to where he can play left now. Right, which is what I just said. And now your fourth right. your fourth bench player would be Mike Talkman. And if Frazier gets hurt or something happens right. or Hicks, Gardy's there. Yeah, I mean, you do have Tyler Wade, but I, I don't want to see that yeah. experiment. But, um, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, I mean Gardy with the glove, you know? Gardy with the glove. Yeah, I agree That's with you. That's all I care about. I agree with you. I just don't think that to... to to break the bank for Brett Gardner would be would be in the Yankees' best interest. No, no, they're not going to break the bank. But yeah. I'm just wondering what he would be willing to take. Uh, I, I think four is a fair number. I think four million yeah, is a fair I. number. Yeah, I, I would do it. I would do it on both sides. Okay. Actually, I don't know what he's thinking. So we'll see. Right? I know. I wish I had a, a pipeline to him for you, Wayne. I wish I did. I wish you did too. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe yeah. I could try. I don't, I don't even think he's on Twitter or anything. So we'll have to just wait and see. That's it. That's all you can do, right? <laughs> Thanks, all Wayne. Right. I appreciate it. Have a nice holiday. You too. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah, Brett Gardner, he's one of those guys. I mean, yeah, he wants, he's been with the Yankees in his entire career. He's 37 years old. He came up through the system. You know, he's not a starter. If he can accept the fact that he is not a starter, he's not a fourth, and he, he's probably the fifth outfielder, then again, do you want to be wrapping up $5 million, $4 million on that hypothetical situation with a fifth outfielder? I don't know. That sounds kind of expensive to me. Um, does he call it quits? I don't know. I, I, like I said, I wish I knew more. But if I were the Yankees, I would offer him maybe $4 million, see if he takes it. I, I don't know. Again, he is a defensive, he's a defensive fielder who still has it. I mean, he has lost a step on the bases, clearly stealing bases and everything like that. But do you do it? I think you try. And if it doesn't work, then it just doesn't work and he hits retirement, I think. Anyway, Dwayne in the Bronx. Um, hi, good morning, Danielle. How are you? I'm pretty well. I, I missed you all those months. I know. Great... I'm back, Dwayne. I missed you too. It was, a, it was No, it was a great sample size uh, when you first started with us. And, and uh, yeah, so it's wonderful it all worked out to have you back. Um, yeah, I'm, first of all, I'm curious. Um, I, it hasn't been clear, and I, my smartphone isn't working. Uh, where did Maurice Harkless sign? Oh, God, i I got to Google this really quickly because it has been a uh, firestorm. Uh, I could not keep up with it, to be Maybe honest Maybe Phoenix you. or, yeah, someplace. He didn't stay. Yeah, no, he did not stay. Maurice Harkless ended up with the heat. Wow. Uh, yeah, they they needed someone, right? Uh, yeah, three point yeah, six million dollars. If he can provide it, yeah. Um, and I'm just right on the note. Like the last caller happened to mention uh, the outfield scheme. It's a shame there hasn't been a way to um, uh, integrate Miguel um, Andujar into um, you know at least about four or five days a week. It, you know he's young. Um, they had him play in a bunch of different positions last spring, uh, this past spring training. And, you know, he'd be serviceable, and it's a shame, you know, Urshela hit well, but it's just between a rock and a hard place where a lot of the lesser teams wouldn't want him because he's arbitration eligible. He had that great rookie year. I'd say trade him somewhere where he could play, get prospects, but, 
I, I wish there were a way to get him to play. You're talking Andujar, get him more playing time. Right, Miguel yeah, Andujar. I know, and I think, yeah, I mean, where where would he fit in? I don't know, third base, it's locked up. Gio Urshela was a, a gold glove finalist for third base, so he's not going to get it there. Right, he, and he hits enough, he wouldn't just be Andujar's caddy. Right. You know, plus, he's affordable. Does he play left field? He doesn't do well in left field. I'm looking at his fielding statistics, and, and what is he? He's a DH. And then who else do they have DH? Oh, that's right, Giancarlo Stanton is locked up as a DH, which I couldn't stand the contract wouldn't happen, and, but here we are. I don't know. I, I, I actually I think and, and Duhar is, is trade bait, I think. But. Uh, right. It's just not every team would want him as he gets into arbitration. Exactly. Yeah. Business end of things. Right. Yeah. I, I appreciate the time. Yeah, I pre- appreciate the call, Dwayne. And it's it's thought provoking at the very least. I mean Miguel and Duhar, what do you do with him? I mean you can't leave him in the in the minor leagues for so long and there's only so much you know, what, what are you gonna do with him? At the alternate site, you know? I think he's trade bait. We don't know yet if there's going to be a DH in the in the NL for this upcoming season. The last I looked, the last I checked, the last I searched. So that really severely limits or handicaps where Miguel Andujar could end up. I just we talked before about this too about all these players are playing in all these different positions, and it's just I don't I don't I don't like it. And um, who we were talking about specifically was Ahmed Rosario where the Mets are trying this new thing where they want to try him in different positions. No, like, no, the guy is just coming on to his own as the Mets shortstop. Don't shove him all around the infield and divorce the outfield as a player myself, as a shortstop myself. I mean, I talked about this. It's it's not that easy. It's it's just not easy to just switch and learn something new, especially at the MLB, the very unforgiving MLB level. You know, I, I just don't think that's that's plausible. Yeah, there's cases, I'm sure. You can go back and Google something and find a case where it worked. I'm sure it does. But I'm talking about my experience. I didn't like it. I, I didn't like playing third base. I didn't like playing second base. And I certainly, I didn't play outfield till my women's league softball game last year. I, they made me do it. I caught one ball. Of course, obviously, I caught the ball. But just saying, I, I hated it. It's just different. It's just completely different. Speaking of softball teams, how do I get on the Boomer and Geo team? I, I, would, like to, I would like to try out for that team. Please, if, if anybody knows somebody that could uh, point me in the right direction, I would greatly appreciate that. Tim in Queens, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, thanks for taking my call. Of course, Tim, always. Hey, Boom and Geo, you just show up, you'll be on the team. Yeah, you think anyway, so? I, <laughs> I got to know where the games are. I, gotta, I need a jersey and everything. <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I just want to ask you a question about Sam Donald. Oh, Sam, yeah, poor Sam. I, and and if, just hypothetically, mm-hmm. you know, the Jets. Yep. It's a sad state of affairs. If they do go zero and sixteen, and they and they get that quarterback, yeah, what's what, 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 he's gone or what? what he, he's got to be gone, right? Yeah, initially, you know, before on this, you know, consecutive weeks without playing. But initially, I was like, you know what? They've got a ton of picks. They could trade back and get even more, yeah. and then they could build around him. You know, I I still think he's got talent. He might be a bust. I uh, then all these injuries started happening, and I it started to change my mind. I think, I, listen, I think the guy has talent. I think he's been completely hindered by the fact that his head coach is inept um, over all, all the course of all of the years, you know, that he's been with the team because they came in. Bell didn't help leaving. Bell didn't help leaving, right. His, three, his, his top three wide receivers in Perriman, Crowder, and, and Denzel Mims, who they drafted, 
with him under center, they have never played together. They've had, I think, five different offensive line combinations when the kid was under center yeah. this season so far. It just they never put him in a good position to succeed. I feel bad for him because I was I was a fan of me him. Too. Then, me too. Me too. And this all you said is terrible. Awful. They never put him in a position to succeed, and I feel terrible for him. And he's, so been he's a, probably going to get traded. You think? Right? I I think so. Yeah, they would be smart to trade him rather and then than he's release him. Kill us. I know, and he's going to be the next Ryan Tannehill who gets out from Adam Gase's yep. clutches and it almost is the comeback player of the year. Yes, yep. guaranteed. I put money on it. It's it's classic Jets. Yeah. And you know, no, Tim, you know what would be classic Jets? If the Jets go ahead and beat the, the Chargers later today. <laughs> that would be classic and Jets. Then we, yeah, that's, you know that's going to happen. We'll be the first... Uh, 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 it's the last game of the season we'll win a game. Yeah, no, I think this is going to be... Chargers have played every single team within one possession so far. Two overtime games. This is the game. It's this hard, is going to be the one. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch is right. I know. I know. Well, thanks for taking my call, Danielle, and best of luck to you. Thanks, Tim. Talk Stay to you, healthy. You too. Talk to you next week. Uh, yeah, poor Sam Darnold. I mean, I feel so bad for him. I really do. Um... And like I just said, if the Jets are going to pick a game to win, if you look at that schedule with your finger up and down the schedule, this is going to be the game. Do they pull it off? Hmm. I'll let you know in a few minutes. Howie, Bay Ridge, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. I don't don't mean to correct you, but it's actually Allie from Bay Ridge. But how are you? Oh, sorry. Oh, Pat. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's early in the morning. I'm still getting my voice. Uh, Danielle, so... Look, I don't want to put too much stock into this baseball season that just went because obviously it's a shortened season and a different playoff format. But I think with the Yankees, they don't need to do too much except for the fact that I think they need to sign Yadier Molina. I think he would be a tremendous Mm -hmm. teacher for Gary Sanchez. Uh, That is is if they keep Sanchez. Well, I mean, really, you know, his worth is not, you know, he's at the lowest point at this point. You know, who's going to really take him? What can you really get? Yes. If you're going to bite the bullet on somebody and and really, you know, somebody that's going to cost you money to get rid of, I would go with Stanton. I think he doesn't, he's not on the field enough. Um, I, I don't think he's, he, he mixes in with this Yankee team. I, yeah, I mean, I'm a great with you. talent. Yeah, you're, uh, I'm but, with you. But, you know, and, and you just got to eat the money. I mean, listen, the Yankees have eaten bigger contracts before, or probably not, but they've, <laughs> they've, they've you know, they've obviously had players where they've uh, spent a lot of money that weren't be able to produce. Uh, and I think Stanton's just not that type of player, and I think he just doesn't fit in with this team. Now, you had mentioned Brett Gardner. Uh, you can't sign this guy. I think it's time to cut ties. I appreciate everything he's done. Mm-hmm. His service for the Yankees in the last 15 years, mm-hmm. 13, 15 years. But, I mean, you made mention about his base stealing. Yeah. He lost a step. Uh, when did he ever have a step? Oh, the he guy's did. All Be the fair. Speed in Be the fair. World. He has all the speed in the world, but he never stole bases. In he the beginning. Bases. In the beginning. But he, the he, beginning, was what, yeah, he was always I a bunt threat. He was always a bunt threat. He might have had, like, you know, a 38-year stolen base maybe one year. Uh, I, I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. But I get it. Baseball is different. They don't, nobody steals bases anymore. But I think we really need to develop Gary Sanchez. I, I don't want to see them cut complete ties with him. I think Yadi Molina would be that type of guy that can teach him. You know, that can teach him that, listen, it, it, you know, uh, you're a great catcher. You, have all the, you possess all the skills. You, you just got to be able to, you know, focus more. I think he has a focus problem, Gary Sanchez. But with that being said, I, again, I, I don't think... You can't look at this season and say 
that the Yankees were, you know, that this, I got to fix that because, again, it was just with, with the circumstances, it, it, it really was, uh, you know, kind of like a, a weird year, right? I mean, we all can agree on that. Yeah, how you know, we, we can all agree on that. And thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but Pat's telling me I have to go to break here. But very, very quickly, Brett Gardner stole, what was it, 2010, 11, 12, about 50 bases, and he really fell off. Uh, in 2019, he had like what 11 stolen bases, something something along those lines. So yeah, no, he he stole bases and he has fallen off. He is no longer a threat to run as a fifth outfielder, paying him four, five, hypothetically million dollars. I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't know. All right, more recalls after the break. If you'd like to get aboard, final chance eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on the fan. You know you make me wanna kick my heels up and down, throw my hands up and down, throw my head back and Are the Jets going to make you scream and shout today? Possibly. I feel bad for your TVs, you guys. Um, listen, I, I, I just got to throw this pick in there really quickly because it is football Sundays. It is NFL Week 11. Jets' key to victory is going to be since they cut Pierre Desir this week. The guy was a bad player on a bad team, giving up a league-high five touchdowns. His fill-ins, who are they going to be? How is the defense going to look? It's it's the kids' time to play for the Jets. It's Ashton Davis. It's Bryce Hall time. It's Denzel Mims time. And for, for the Jets to win this game, I think uh, it, it's an L for them unless they can garner some unexpected production from its young players. Ten rookies saw playing time versus the Patriots, by the way. Ten of them. So if these guys have a good game, you never know, right? And then the Chargers' key to victory, obviously it's going to be Justin Herbert's walk. He's better than advertised, and he's working with guys like uh, wide receivers like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I mean, that's a difference maker. Jets lose. Chargers win. Chargers 35. Jets 16. Tank for Trevor. Still alive, everybody. All right. Just want to thank all the callers. Could not have done this without you tonight. Obviously, love coming here, talking with you all. Special thank you again to Amy Dash, the official legal analyst for WFAN. That was at 320. John Franco, member of the New York Mets Hall of Fame at 440. I give you the times just in case you missed it. You want to listen on the radio.com rewind feature. The app is free. Maybe you just rewind to 2 a.m. Listen to the whole thing while you're at it. Great job to Pat behind the glass tonight, as always. To Mike McCann on the updates. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Enjoy the lasagna. That's what I have in my house. I love it. It's my favorite part. I'll see you guys all this time next week. Bob Salter's up next. Hit my socials at Coach McCartan. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. See you next week, everybody. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Red. WFM.